Oh, my goodness gracious. Hello, everybody, and happy holidays. Uh, it is that time for the big December holidays. Uh, when welcome to the season finale, the season four finale. It happens so fast. That's what happens when you only do five episodes. Uh, this is episode five, uh, episode 24 overall. Uh, of the Anhedonic Headphones podcast. It is the audio companion to the award-winning music blog that has been taking the fun out of music since 2013. It's the home of the stupidly verbose think pieces with footnotes on deck, uh, Anhedonic Headphones. My name is Kevin Krein. I am the person responsible for generating all of the garbage content on Anhedonic Headphones, and I am your host for this illustrious podcast. Uh, I have saved the longest episode for last here, so settle in, pour yourself a big glass of water, uh, maybe enjoy an adult beverage or two, maybe have some snacks if you might get hungry, because... Uh, it's going to be a while. There's, It's going to be a good conversation, um, but, you know, I hope you're in it for the long haul. As always, uh, if you have not already done so, you are encouraged to subscribe to this podcast, wherever fine podcasts are sold, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts, or you can Use the Podbean site, anhedonicheadphones.podbean.com, to read the extensive show notes uh, and, and credits for every episode and listen to it from there. I would like to take this time before we get into episode 24 or episode 5 of the fourth season uh, to thank all the guests who either slid through in person or virtually to chop it up with me. Uh, this has been a wild ride in terms of coordinating all of this stuff done remotely and editing everything together. Every season I forget how long it takes to edit these episodes and then I get into editing an episode and I'm like, oh, this is why I don't do more than five in a season now because this is a big time commitment. Um, maybe I'll be back for fifth season in the spring. Maybe we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, I don't often get who I would consider to be celebrities uh, on the program. I've had one other celebrity come through and chop it up with me. Uh, and so I, this is a, kind of a big deal, this episode. Maybe the most illustrious of guests. Who's to say? Um, illustriousness is in the eye of the beholder. Anyway, uh, when I structure the seasons, I usually try to save the longest or most in-depth conversation or the funniest episode for the end and boy this one does not disappoint um i had the pleasure of speaking at length with my internet friend uh, and you'll hear all about that during our conversation uh so please welcome to the show my guest today joe goodkin First, let's we're just gonna get into this now. So, Joe, thank you so much for joining me uh, remotely to be on the podcast. It is I, an honor, honor and a pleasure. Oh, oh, this is kind of a. I don't want to say this is a big get for me, but this is like <laughs> you are a illustrious singer songwriter. 
Uh, and this is kind of like a big deal for me because I would consider you, I don't, I'm sure you don't consider yourself to be a celebrity, but, uh, I, unless you do and good for you, cause you're like, it's, you're like, it's hard to stay humble when I'm stunting on a jumbotron. Oh, um, man. but no, I, I would consider you to be a celebrity of sorts. And this is kind of a big deal to have like a big name of somebody who is like an internet friend, but also you do big things to have you as a guest on the show. So I I appreciate you taking time out of your day to be willing to do this and chop it up with me. Uh, Oh man. I mean, internet, internet friend, Kevin, um, (laughs) it's, uh, you know, it, it's, that's really cool to be here. And I've, I've really enjoyed the podcast I've listened to. And of course I've, I've always been thankful for, uh, all your music writing, um, oh, bless your heart. some of the writing you've done around my work, but really, really everything. And, and if we're just going to keep uh, complimenting one <laughs> another, uh, if this is just if this podcast is going to be 90 minutes of us being like, and yeah. you do this well, and thank <laughs> you for this. Uh, when you did the press release for your second EP and you had like a pull quote from one of my pieces about your stuff in it, that was like, damn, I really made it. If this is because I've always like remember when people the bought stickers. real albums, yeah, like the stickers, and it has the like the pull quote on it, and it's like the the critical acclaim, and and I was like, man, someday maybe I'll be on a sticker, well, and that's kind of the that's like the closest I'm gonna get is like that's the modern day sticker because there you, there you go, jumbotron and sticker, yeah, <laughs> um, so. You are speaking to me from uh, Chicago. Correct. And uh, this is since this is a new season of the podcast where most of it is being done recorded remotely because I'm reaching out to people uh, through this service and connecting with new with, with new people who aren't um, people I see every day at work or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because things are so strange and terrible right now, my new question that I am asking everybody is, how have you been holding up during the last seven months? Oh, man. Uh, you know, my, my standard answer to this is, is by any... By any meaningful standards, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. I, I have a, a a home and a family, and my 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 home is working. Everybody's working. Both people are working, and yeah, we're, we're staying safe, and my family's healthy. And but you know, okay, being being that 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 being said, perspective wise, it's uh, it's it's intense, and it's it's challenging on a lot of different fronts, both as a person and and as a musician too. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, because you had to scrap your uh, touring plans and you're just doing a lot of stuff remotely right now. That's it. Um, And yeah, but I mean, I'm glad you're still able to like work because I know a lot of people in like in your position who rely on the income of of touring and performing uh, are not able to continue to do that um, in the current situation that we all face yeah it's pretty brutal it is i feel i yeah. feel very lucky in that respect that um i'm i'm set up to continue to to be productive and even if it's changed my routines and the way i the way i do things and what i can do um it sounds like compared to you know many people i'm i'm in, I'm in a pretty good position so i always try to have perspective even though if my soul doesn't feel like it <laughs> <laughs> that's a really insightful way to look at it because yeah it's uh it's easy to get very downy clowny and be like man this is fucking awful and yep. 
Uh, but and yeah, it it's, it's just, it is, it, 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 it is, yeah, let's keep it funky. It is, but you can take stock and be like, uh, I still have a job. I still have an income. Yep. Uh, I have not gotten that Roni yet. Yep. That's right. Um, trying to stay safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been over 200 days since all this really kind of wow. took, uh, so yeah. And that really puts a lot of things into perspective. As, yeah. As far as to quote spinal tap. Too much fucking perspective, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you just a little bit of an introduction. You uh have you are both a solo performer mm-hmm. and you used to perform with uh, a band or like under a band name um of paper arrows. Correct. And you also do your shows with the the Odyssey. Um, so just to, for the people who aren't familiar with your work, who are listening uh, to this podcast, you wanted to give just like a quick little overview of like your career so far as a, a yeah. performer and um, songwriter, just so folks know. So if you go back, uh, starting in about 2008 or so, um, I released, uh, five records under the name Paper Arrows with sort of the same group of musicians. Um, and, uh, there's three full lengths and a, and a couple EPs. And then uh, in 2015 or so, um, I, I started just recording under my own name under Joe Goodkin and put out the series of three EPs called a Record of Life, Record of Loss, and Record of Love. And last year I put out a somewhat confusingly a, a Joe Goodkin album entitled Paper Arrows, <laughs> just to throw everybody completely <laughs> off the scent. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and then this year I've been putting out sort of a single a month, not sort of an actual single a month. And on the side of all that, I sort of have a, another aspect of my career, which is I have a one man folk opera retelling of Homer's Odyssey that I do largely for colleges and high schools. In fact, I did it this morning for the university of Iowa remotely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Midwest. uh, uh, uh. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, you know it well. And uh, I've yeah, added, yeah, for sure. I, I've added a second piece, uh, which is a, a retelling of of Homer's Iliad called "The Blues of Achilles," okay. which I just started to get off the ground uh, two hundred days or so ago. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, musicians have to be have to be all over the place and have to have a lot of buckets. And uh, I teach guitar lessons, and I do I do whatever I need to do to to stay in in music full time. You know. Well, that's good that you're and you're yeah, you're out here hustling hard to yep. keep doing that. Yeah, cool. Um, so you and I, we <laughs> it's funny, we have such a, this rapport. We've had like a rapport for five years. We have never actually met in person. No, we're one step um, closer. <laughs> one step closer. We are one step closer now. Yeah, yeah. Uh if if traveling is ever allowed again and I and I make it to Chicago, I'll holler. Um please. We exchanged emails when i still was a writer for the newspaper in town and you were performing your odyssey shows for uh the colleges in northfield and i wrote a piece about that for the entertainment uh section of the northfield news and i was like i do music writing and you were like hey i've got an album coming out and that's and five years later here we are you are a guest on my podcast straight line I've, straight line yeah straight very straight line you you you've slid me all your uh efforts and i have gladly written about them because i think what you do is really impressive and captivating and often it's like uh very heart-wrenching like it's a your work is very emotional and i am 100 percent on board with all of it <laughs> 
And so it's very, I'm very happy to have you as a guest on the show um, to chop it up with me. And you've picked, uh, you've picked 10 tunes plus a bonus track. If we're not sick of each other by the time we get <laughs> to it. It's not tomorrow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing another one of these tonight with a friend in town wow. and we're going to record it outside. And she's like, I got to get some lights out on the porch in case we go into the wee hours. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I, people think they're just going to, we're just going to keep going and going till the tape rolls out. My hard drive is just full. It's just um, sizzling. <laughs> Yeah, the computer just melts down. It's like, oh, too much podcast. Um, so you've picked 10 tunes, and I was familiar with almost all of these, and I uh, listened to the ones that I was not familiar with just to um, make sure I didn't sound like a total buffoon when we got to talking about them, because that has happened before on here. Yeah. And uh, so what what criteria did you use for picking these? Like these, Because these are all relatively recent, except yeah. for one of them. Yeah. And um, I was just, I'm always surprised at what people pick. And then I'm always fascinated to hear what people kind of use as the criteria for the songs they select. So tell me about a little bit about your selection process. Cause you were like, it was very difficult to get this down to 10. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so how did you whittle this down or what were like, what was the, what was your process? Yeah. Well, it was to like put off on doing it for a couple months and then panic and throw it together in the last minute. No, <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, um, people have it, people have done that. Well, so I mean, it's, uh, nothing like the urgency of a deadline, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like five minutes before we go to record and you're like, Hey, here's my list. I uh, <laughs> hope you're good with these. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I've, I have listened to, to, to the podcast some and I've, you know, I have read your writing and, um, I, I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to have mostly songs that I thought you and I could, have, we've sort of maybe even exchanged emails about art, these artists. Oh, and I thought, okay. Thought yeah. We could get a little yeah. deeper into it. And I, you know, that, oh. would, that, that didn't mean at all compromising my taste as, 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 you, okay. as you can see. Um, yeah. And then I, once I started going at this theme of with a couple exceptions, um, you know, mostly these singer songwriters with fairly dense lyrics and um, uh, that I thought we could really, you know, have some conversations about on top of the lyrics, maybe, you know, their places in, in, in our, in our musical, uh, musical taste, the history of our musical taste. And also sure. just like where they come in the, in the, in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years of music for the most part. Um, I thought that was that, that's kind of how I, how I wedged okay. it together with a couple, okay. with a couple exceptions, but you know, you need variety. So. Okay. Is there nothing left to do? 
So for you, the first one you picked um, is Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. And uh, you picked Killer from Stranger in the Alps, <laughs> which is her debut. Mm-hmm. And um, I... <laughs> <laughs> we we have had many exchanges about Phoebe Bridgers, specifically yeah. about Punisher. Yep. And so, uh, how did you get into Phoebe Bridgers? First of all, because I mean, she's relatively this is new. Like I mean, this yeah. is from three years ago. Yeah. And so she is a relatively new name. Um. But did you glom onto this album right away, or did it take a little bit of time for you to get into this, or how did you? Yeah, that's her? that's kind of the reason I picked this track. Was I had a a student of mine actually bring me the song to learn uh maybe oh, okay. two years ago or something like that and okay uh you know one of the benefits of teaching teaching the kids is that you can pretend that you're staying in touch with musical taste um <laughs> so you don't sound as washed when you're right. like how do you do fellow young yeah, person right. which i'm about to completely <laughs> violate uh but no i mean it's you know i i appreciate it because i i really do you know i really even music that is not my taste i i enjoy listening to just to just to get into it and see what I can learn from yeah. it. Um, and, you know, every once in a while you get a song like this where you're like, okay, cool. And then you start learning it to teach this person and you're like, what is happening? Like this is, yeah. this is bonkers, yeah. you know, both lyrically and chord wise. So then I, I sort of went down a bit of a rabbit hole with that first record. And, and then the subsequent, um, is it girl genius? Is that or boy genius? Sorry. Is that what it's called? Boy genius. Boy yeah. genius. Yeah. Boy yeah. It must've been a super group with yeah. Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker. Yeah. So that really opened up, uh, you know, just into this, this little community of, of, um, of, of these singer songwriters that I would not have been aware of otherwise. But I, you know, I, I love the Punisher record a lot clearly as we've talked about, but this, this tune killer is like one of those to me that I know it's not the most popular tune on that record, but it's, it's, incredible and every everything that then she goes on to do on punisher i think is sort of floating around in that song both from like a production standpoint and also a writing standpoint Yeah, I can see that. Like this one has, um, in terms of the production, for sure, there's a lot going on with this one, despite how kind of skeletal it yep. is and its arrangement. Yeah. Um, yeah, I 
discuss I got into Phoebe Bridgers because I read the headline <laughs> that like the A V club had okay. done for Pun or for Stranger in the Alps, and it was like she's released the saddest album of the year. <laughs> and immediately and you wanted like, it. <laughs> I couldn't put I I couldn't rush to listen to it fast <laughs> enough. And I I listened to like I was into like the first two songs and I was like, yep, here this is it. This is, <laughs> I gotta I gotta cop this. And so yeah, from there it's been, I mean, I saw the her do the boy I was I saw the Boy Genius tour, cool. which was a, a long night of sad young women <laughs> singing sad songs. Um and Punisher has been that is a tough album for me to listen to personally, but it's so, so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, she's doing big things. And this one, yeah, I would say this one is not the most accessible tune on Stranger in the Alps, but it, I mean, it's lyrically, it's, it, it hits. And musically, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in the production with her vocals and kind of the atmospherics. There's also some, this one. there's a pretty decent collection of, of, uh, you know, videos of her doing it live, like high quality, you know, kind of yeah. well-recorded, uh, on, on YouTube. And like, it's, it's interesting. Not someone with a, it's not someone with a shaky cell phone and like no. the, the 19th row overloaded audio. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's like, it's interesting cause you can see there are variations in like her performances. Like she doesn't always play the same chords even. And you know, that really also kind of. I thought I should pay a little more attention when you see an artist who's willing to go kind of change things up like in front of people and, and you know, to that extent, I, I like to see that. And I think like this is, there's a good chance there's going to be more here if they're not just going out and, and kind of playing exactly the same way. Um, they're a risk taking artist, you know, that you may want to pay a little more attention to. Yeah. I Have you watched any of the kind of stuff she's been doing online to promote Punisher with like the tiny desk or yep. the way she did um, I Know it. the End <laughs> on Late Night? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like those, that's two like very drastically different iterations of the same song in yep. terms of like doing the version where she's just wandering around the theater singing it with the piano accompaniment till the second part. And then the other one is just like, sparse but then the rest of the band comes in at the end i just thought it was just like the the deconstruction and reconstruction of the same song like a month apart not even yeah right totally different ways is very impressive to me that she's willing to take such a heavy thing and keep tinkering away at it for different audiences absolutely and even on that like you said the kind of skeletal production on the on the studio version of killer there's like yeah there's some sort of reverse thing happening with the piano that's like wild and like oh yeah there's all yeah, these atmospheric yeah. things that you know on top of just the the lyrics being just like almost downright terrifying <laughs> like oh uh, yeah. Um, yeah you know yeah. Th- that i just thought like here's somebody who is basically laying it bare, has no qualms about, about sharing, making herself as vulnerable as she needs to make herself to like make the song work, I guess. And that's, that's usually kind of what I see in in people who are willing to vary things up live is, you know, they're just going to go for it. Like they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're okay with it. I don't know if failing is the right word, but, um, you know, they're going to try something different and see if it works. Yeah. That's, that makes you really vulnerable. Yeah. It's really easy to go out and just do a song yeah. if you know it works, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of like the, the boy genius tour was like that. They, they did some, the three of them when they did the six songs together right. as like the encore to the night is, I mean, 
one of them they did without any instrumentation or even like a microphone. Oh, and then yeah. yeah, then they do one with just like a mandolin and the guitar and just the three of them singing around a microphone. Like really it's just exposed, like they yeah. they are even willing to 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 open up like that as in, in like the group setting, which I thought was really. Uh, admirable absolutely especially after such a long night of all three of them doing their own sets and then coming out to do all that together i thought also like that was just a really like i mean it was a really smart way for them to sort of create this little community and effectively you know go out and have all of them tour together and probably do a little bit better because it's behind this 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 um collaborative project you know um it yeah seemed like it gave yeah, them a little more sure. juice which was awesome yeah, no, that was a that was like the last big show that I went to because I don't I don't go to too many shows and uh, that like yeah and now now concerts aren't really a thing anymore. Nope, so that won't, was, won't be for a while. I guess don't I worry. Out, yeah, <laughs> it's. I do you think it's like cute when you see things being rescheduled for like twenty twenty one and you're like, good luck with that. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, yeah, okay, that, I don't think that that's gonna be a thing. But I mean, right. I kind of I have in my head that maybe the fall of twenty twenty one. Um, depending on what happens in like the next six months, there might be, and I'm not talking big shows. I'm talking about just places where people can gather and not be <laughs> inside and not be paranoid, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But sure. I mean, I don't even know that might even be a little optimistic, honestly. I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. Whew. Um, so do you have anything else for Phoebe's Phoebe Bridgers? No, she's just, you know. Just okay. all, all our hopes for the future of everything lie with her, so I hope she doesn't let us down. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. She did just launch her, her own record label. I, I saw read. that. That's really encouraging. Yeah. I mean, she she just, you know, it, it's really, I guess I'd, I'd finish up by saying, like, it's just so encouraging to see an artist that young, um, like, ha- have that kind of output already and put that much care and, and sort of... Um, be that you know it's it's cool i'm really excited to see where she goes just as somebody who loves music and yeah um it it it's it's cool to get on the train fairly early with that you know So the next one, switching gears to uh, some something jazzy. 
Uh, and you you have met Kamasi, um, which is is uh, you sent me that photo, and I was yeah. like, wow, that's a flex. That is a real flex. <laughs> um, but so Kamasi Washington, uh, who is like single handedly kind of revitalizing popular interest in jazz. Yeah. Um, he this is from Harmony of Difference, the EP that is from 2017. Yeah. And you did the first track, but it's like intended to be listened to not seamlessly, but like from beginning to end, because it's all kind of one thing. But this is a desire. And yeah. so, first of all, how did you get into Kamasi? Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that's right. I think it's kind of like a suite of songs. That it, have yeah, these, especially these themes. yeah. The well, I mean, like, so I, I don't. You do you? I know you listen to a lot of digital music mm-hmm. or like streaming, but do you have the vinyl of this? Like, do you have this uh, physically at all? I don't, but I mean, we do. Okay. We do vinyl here, so would you recommend it? Yeah. Is it, yeah. Um, cause I, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I have the, the LP version. And so like the last piece is just the B side. Oh, cool. And so then the, the all, all the other ones are on the A side. So it's, it, it, it is sequenced like yeah. very intentionally. Um, but yeah. So how did you discover him? Cause I kind of was very slow to, to like take a listen, um, to the Epic and yeah. then I was like, wow, this is really good. I see why people are talking about him. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I think it was, I don't even think I got into, wait, the Epic was the full length before this, right? The first one. Is that right? Yeah. The Epic is the tri- the triple album. Oh, yeah, How right. audacious is that to, yeah. to make your debut a triple album? Yeah. Right. It's audacious. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and I think maybe because of the scope of that, I couldn't, I just didn't have the bandwidth to like take it in when it came out i remember reading about it and sort of like i mean like i think you're the same way where you're like oh that's the guy on new york new york okay like <laughs> um you know yeah yeah i was yeah you know and, or like oh that's a guy who's responsible for doing a bunch of orchestration for kendrick kendrick lamar okay, right exactly right. So, so it's so like you know is, he's doing you know, big you, things yeah you got the sense that he was you know very very well known and successful you know studio musician slash collaborator but then like you said he puts out yeah. this triple and then i think when 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 um harmony of difference came out i was like oh cool an ep i can <laughs> listen to this like in one <laughs> sit- seating and you know it it um it it just shows you my attention span but it there's something about the opening track where it's like one of those albums where from the absolute first note i just it 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 hit me somewhere and it was um you know i wasn't necessarily expecting it but it just it tapped into something I, I really like about music or something that moved me. And I thought it was really like really uh, almost magical to me, the beginning of that record. It's, it's like it opens it, yeah, up yeah. the scene, you know, kind of. Um, yeah. And so then I was kind of off to the races and, and he did uh, it's amazing to say we did this this year, but for vacation, we went down to this concert in Mexico that was actually, it was Wilco was the band, but they had Kamasi Washington as one of their opening acts. And we learned pretty early on that if you just loitered around the front of the stage, you might get to meet some of the bands. Um, <laughs> so the day he was playing, I just loitered around the front of the stage and uh, he he came out to soundcheck and he was really gracious and, and talked to me for a minute or two and snapped a picture. And, you know, I don't really get like fanboyish like that much, but for him, that was for, for me, that was like, I'm like, this is one of my favorite musicians right now. That's really cool. 
Yeah. I was wondering if you got like super starstruck when you had encounters like that or if you were like, ah, oh, it ain't a thing. Like, no, I was another, just another day I in mean, Mexico. He, he was, yeah, I was, was you know, the vibes. I had been drinking most of the day. So um. there you go. There you go. Uh, no, it was I mean, it was a little like it was a little like I knew he was also getting ready to work and sound check. So I didn't want to be uh-huh. that person who was like taking him away from his job because that's what it was. But <laughs> so I was, I was very cautious about just say, saying, basically going up and telling how much I loved his, his music and his record and how excited we yeah. were. And he, he was very, really gracious and, and, and w- agreed to snap a picture. And I was like, cool, that's all I need. I'm going to go away now. <laughs> um, and then they played uh, a couple songs off that during that. And he just, he's such a, a lyrical and emotional player. And I, I don't know. You know, that's not my normal, that's not my go-to for listening um, style wise, but yeah. something really just took me about like his voice on the instrument to me was, was really, is really compelling. And also his composition too, I think. Yeah. He is really good at, he is a really impressive band leader and a uh, composer and arranger. Um, we saw him, uh, yeah, 2018, he was touring in support of um the other album he had put out yeah the double album or no it's a sorry it's a quadruple album because <laughs> three the, isn't it, enough because <laughs> if you get the vinyl it's uh it's a double album on cd but the vinyl is four lps with a fifth lp hidden in the middle with extra songs that's um which he instructed the audience to crack open the middle to find it because a lot of them didn't know what he was talking about because they played something from that part how um, much was that vinyl it was like forty bucks, maybe for I don't remember for five records. That's not too bad. No, it was um, I think it was forty. I don't know. I at the show it was a lot more, but I had ordered it from the label like yeah. a pre-order, and when it came, it was a heavy. I was like, why is this <laughs> so? Why is it? Why does this weigh so much? Well, that's you know, um, that's awesome. I love when when artists do that too. With 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 you know, make if you're gonna make a physical thing, make something special about it. You know, because yeah. like, it has to set itself apart from the the actual music. Because which you can get digitally, you know.
this did you sit to watch him perform when he was at the singer were you standing because like i kind of like standing in a jazz concert kind of <laughs> seems like a great way to like lose your patience <laughs> or hurt your lower back if That's you're like good. washed like me and have just mad lower back problems um because it'd be like wow t- 25 minutes in and we're not even finished with the first song yet <laughs> and holy shit well for, for one thing they were the opening band so their set was like 70 minutes so that was okay like, it, it was that a means little... you got through two two songs yeah we got through yeah, two, okay. and, two and a half i think um and then uh you know uh this was out at this this hard rock big hard rock resort so there really weren't any seats unless you wanted to sit on the ground so it was like festival oh. seating standing um okay so, um so it was i, I tell you what it's, it's a really good observation like it did not feel like a, overly long to me like they were they were a little more concise maybe with the songs than they would have been if it was a headlining show you know and they knew they had okay two hours or something like that uh they felt yeah and that wasn't to say that they didn't stretch out you know which they did but um it, everyone's uh, got to get everyone in the band's got to get a solo that's right, at least one um so um because yeah. we we saw them we saw them in a theater in saint paul and it was it was i mean we were sitting so i was fine with yeah. the length because i was like there's no way in hell i'm standing for a jazz concert that's fucking stupid yeah and so we st- we stood or we like everyone on the ground floor was standing and i was like you losers like enjoy <laughs> your like sore body that the next day uh so we were sitting in the balcony and yeah it was mad long they did six songs in like two hours <laughs> and because we looked at the set list when we got home and my wife was like wait how many songs did they actually play and i was like six just six and she's like okay that sounds about right but yeah it was it was like whoo yeah um it's a different art but form, yeah man. i was very comfortable very comfortable just to to sit and just take it all in because i don't i don't know if i would have enjoyed it as much in a standing situation but if they knew that they were kind of like playing to a different crowd i think yeah. standing might have I mean, I should also reiterate and say this was Mexico and I'd been drinking all day. So my judgment, <laughs> my assessment of what I would tolerate there was probably a little different than if uh, it were in a, a theater in, in, in the winter in Chicago or something. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're like, let's wrap it up. B, I got I got to get up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Here I'm like, I guess I'll just go back up to my room and you know, watch more of the concert yeah. from there. <laughs> like, I yeah so, sure. no, but he was they were they were awesome and he, and and the band was great and i think he has his dad on tour with them um maybe as one of the wind players or something if i'm remembering that okay. correctly he did yeah he did not have he had a kind of a pared down group of folks with him when i saw him but i know that his the scope with which he performs in, yeah. in terms of uh additional musicians and everything can can grow to be yeah pretty it big was, in terms of needing everything needing the uh the choral portion and the uh, string arrangements yeah. and yeah it's like well, how yeah. many tracks you got on this song <laughs> yeah it's dense man and he had a female singer with him who was just awesome who did a lot of the sort of stand in for those for those vocal parts you know um yeah it, yeah he had a couple people doing that when i saw him which was neat to have just that added element even pared down like that it, yep. it does bring something to it absolutely yeah so do you i mean and we're going to get to some more jazz later on in this but are you is like jazz your go-to music that is not straight like contemporary popular music or um, i wouldn't how say did you yeah get into that? i wouldn't say go to i have a um I will say that like, we may talk a little bit about this later, but like I, when I was learning to play guitar as like a soloist and mm-hmm. I got sick of, I don't say sick of, I, I'd sort of 
run the course of learning the kind of standard blues influences. I, I was, I had a, a friend slash teacher who pointed me towards a couple jazz artists that were a little more accessible okay. on the solo front. So I found myself, you know, tapping into a little Miles Davis and John Coltrane and some of um, these other soloists that at least as a, as a blues rock folk person, I found approachable um, in a lot of ways and I found really compelling. So I think that's, okay. it's not something I would, you know, put on all the time, but I definitely am versed in some of it and I components of it I, I really, really, really love and I take a lot out of it. I watch the film, the song remains the same At the midnight movies when I was a kid At a Canton, Ohio mall with friends Jimmy Page to on screen And I was mesmerized by everything The Peter Grant, John Paul Jones dream sequences The close-up of the mahogany double-neck SG And though I love the sound of the roaring what spoke to me most was rain song and bronze. And I love the thunder of John Bonham's drums. But even more, I like no quarters low. memories I was a very melancholic kid when anything close to me at all in the world died to my heart forever it would be tied like when my friend was thrown from his moped with some kind of a big truck back ended and when the girl who sat in front of me in remedial Killed in an accident one weekend and quickly forgotten about at school. And when we got the call that my grandmother passed, the nervous tension I'd been feeling for months broke, and strangely I laughed. my bedroom and I lay down and in my tears and in the heaviness of everything I drown okay um are you ready to get into this next one let's do it 
Oh boy. I, you know, I saw this on here and I just, I was like, Oh, I got a lot. I got hot takes galore, but, um, so you picked, you picked, uh, Mark Kozlik, uh, yeah. sun kill moon. Yep. I watched the film. The song remains the same. And I want to know what your background is with Kozlik. Um, especially leading up to-, to this one, because you wanted me to spit to load up a full clip of hot takes and just unload on this because that boy this, I got him. This is like me just setting up the you know setting the volleyball right by the net for you. <laughs> Bump set spike. Let's well, fucking go. So, um, you know, I thought about whether to include this, but but um, but I think we you and I connected around this album a lot because it came out right around the time my first one did that had some similar somewhat similar approaches I think to to writing on it and. Uh, this album, Benji, really, I, I was aware of him with Red House Painters and I, I knew some of that stuff, but Benji really like just kind of lit me on fire when it came out. And I was like, kind of your experience with like Phoebe Bridges' first record, you know, reading, yeah. it, reading it was the saddest record and listening to it and being like, oh, uh, yeah, it is. Um, like, I think I read a re- <laughs> I think I read a review of Benji, you know, just saying it was brutal. And I put on that first song and I was like, holy crap, this is like this is out there, man. And the whole record's out there. Um, and then clearly his reputation has suffered somewhat since that record. Um, is that an understatement? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. But I also it's putting thought, it, putting it mildly. I also thought you and I, I think also have similar, uh, there's a couple artists that you and I both dig who have had falls from grace slash really horrendous details attached to. And, I think it's part of a larger question of like, how do you deal with that? You know, like when somebody. Oh you, yeah. Separating the art from the artist. Yeah. yeah. Cause it clearly happened yeah, with Ryan Adams not, too. And like, you know. Yeah. Like, R.I.P. to Ryan Adams. Well, yeah. I mean, we could have talked about that with Phoebe Bridgers. That's, I know. Cause I mean, yeah. motion sickness is about him. Um, I thought, I thought only uh, one song that you were going to unload on was safer though, rather than putting <laughs> dear Chicago by Ryan Adams on or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You could have just made a whole, the whole podcast is just problematic artists that we both once liked. It's like Kanye, Ryan Adams, Michael Jackson. I mean, it's hard because like, I'm the same way as you where I I think I'm maybe better than not better. Uh, I'm able to differently from some generally able to separate some of the biography from the art in some sense, not entirely. Um, but I went back and listened to the song once I put it on there and I was just like, yeah, the song is amazing. Like this is a, a, a masterpiece of a song, like on a masterpiece of an album. And it's like just such a shame that he, I mean, he was headed that way before the sort of wider, you know, or more, I should say more detailed revelations about, about, you know, sexual impropriety. Cause he's been a crank forever. But, um, yeah. It, oh I also, yeah. I also I mean, he was that, a crank in the, the red house painter days. Yeah, um, I also think the quality of his output is dipped too. So it's not like I'm just basing this on him being a crank uh, or, or, you know, a, an asshole or something. You mean you don't want an album of a bunch of him just like reading his journal entries about like what he ate for breakfast that day. Uh, and it's like eight and a half minutes long. I mean, that's pass. <laughs> that, that means like people the the streets are thirsty for yeah, that, that new cosmic mixtape all um, the kids want <laughs> so my history with cosmic i mean like so i was into the red house painters when yeah. i was in college because that's when you're like a sad like 
late teen, early twenties, uh, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna get real in my feelings and listen to the Red House Painters. And by the time I had gotten into them and like found them on my own, they had already broken up. Yeah. And so I, I got turned on to Sun Kill Moon as like the new thing that he had been doing, and I picked up Ghosts of the Great Highway, and I was like, oh, holy shit, this is incredible. And so I, I latched myself right on to that. And I, I even would go to bat for his Modest Mouse covers album because I know that that was a very polarizing thing at the time. Um, and when April came out in like the spring of 2008, I was like, this is incredible. Like yeah. this guy can do no wrong. And even though I, there was like the constant rumblings about his, like one of my earliest Mark Kozlik as problematic stories was told to me by somebody who was like, he was performing. Uh, maybe this had even been with the Red House Painters. He went into the audience before like the show started and paid someone to switch seats with like a, a girl. So he could have like a, an attractive woman in his sight line while he was performing rather than like a schlubby dude. Yeah, And I was kind of like, uh okay yeah that's that's not great and like i've have you seen him ever live i mean he plays in chicago quite a bit or he did we saw um, him um we saw him at uh the pitchfork music festival in like uh, 2016 uh 16 okay. or 17 okay. and you know it, it, to be fair to him like he was playing a festival at 5 30 in the afternoon which like oh this is per- perfect time for the, the the kind of stuff he's doing now. yeah uh, now he also crowd midday yeah was, was a complete disaster like he wound up like like saying something it wasn't racist but like he he sort of like alluded to something might have been like he just completely fell apart like as a performer like in terms of how he was dealing with the audience and it was like it was really disappointing because like I was really excited to see him um, at that point because I hadn't, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, I did. He have a band or any additional performance yeah, with him, or was like, it just him? Like, okay. He had like a four piece, but like he was sitting down, okay. and then at one point he like stood up and he looked sort of like a horse on two legs. Like it was just like <laughs> it was so awkward and just like not. I don't know. It wasn't great. <laughs> kept to myself and for the most part was pretty coy I once got baited into clocking some undeserving boy out on the elementary school playground I threw a punch that caught him off guard and knocked him down and when I walked away the kids were cheering and though I grinned Deep inside I was hurting But not nearly as much as I'd hurt him He stood up, his glasses broken His face was red And I was never a schoolyard bully It was only one incident And it has always eaten
I was never a young schoolyard bully And wherever you are, that poor kid I'm so sorry When I grew older, I learned to play guitar While everyone else was throwing around a football Wearing bright colors, the school issued them Parroting passed down phrases and cheerleading I got a recording contract in 1992 From there my name and my band and my audience grew And since that time, so much has happened to me But I discovered I cannot shake melancholy For 46 years now, I cannot break the spell I'll carry it throughout my life and probably carry it I'll go to my grave with my melancholy And my ghost will echo my sentiments for all eternity the song remains the same the same things speak to me that spoke to me then except now the scenes with Peter Grant and John Bonham are different when I think about the dust that fell upon I got a friend who lives in the desert outside Santa Fe and I'm going to visit him this Saturday between my trial and his divorces And our time not being what it was It's been 15 years since I last saw him He's the man who signed me back in 92 And I'm gonna go there and tell him face to face Thank you For discovering my talent so early For helping me along in this beautiful musical world I was meant to be
He, I, so I saw him at a tiny theater in Minneapolis right after April came out, and my friend and I, we both went because uh, we were like jazz, and we were like, "Oh yeah, Sun Kill Moon is so great. This is going to be awesome." And we yeah. we got there, and he went on mad late, and he he started like insulting the audience at one point, and he was like. Um, he's like, man, there used to be so many hot girls in the crowd when we perform. What happened to all the hot girls? Now it's just pudgy, ugly dudes in Western shirts. And I was like, hmm, that's, yeah, all right, you, yeah. You might want to not insult the crowd here to see you, but whatever, I'm not the one on stage. Um, and so that kind of soured me a little bit. And I was, I mean, like, since April, I've really not been super impressed with much of his catalog. And then by the time Benji came out, and I wrote a very scathing review of this album for a website that I no longer am associated with. Okay. Um, because the one of the writers is wildly transphobic and the editors are really misogynistic. So Great. shout out to Bearded Gentleman Music. Ooh. Yeah, you know the vibes. Yeah. Um, but... I, they were like, do you want to just unload on this Kozilek album? And I'm like, sure, let's go. <laughs> and I, I thought it was so clever at the time. And I try, I really tried. Like I go into his, I used to go into his stuff being like, I want to like this. Yeah. And I just didn't work for me. And Benji was like the first time that I was really like, I don't think this is going to work anymore for me, like at all. Interesting. And like the, the cantankerous nature just kept getting more and like his reputation is eclip was just like eclipsing his work and then his work just became like really fucking sloppy and challenging to listen to and now he it's like three four women have straight up accused him of sexual yeah. assault well, he had no response really except for he was like gonna get a lawyer like was gonna like sue them for uh slander and it's slander, like that's, yeah right that's, right it is big I'm guilty energy. Yeah, I so I mean so, I would yeah. say that though that like his decline even since that album like was like if it it's it's even more marked in terms of the quality of the output. Like everything since then sort of makes Benji look like April probably, you know, for you. Like it, Oh yeah, because, for yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think this is the last time he was really just like praised, like just yeah. lauded. Yeah. Um, and everything else since then, I feel like he just kind of doesn't care yeah, anymore. Right. Absolutely. Really, if people like it, if they like it, if they don't, fuck them. Like he has a real fuck you attitude about his his music now. And, Wasn't this just before uh, uh, War on Drugs, Suck My Cock, or whatever that thing was called? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was uh that that's I mean that's 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 its own thing. Let's <laughs> insult the band who's playing the stage opposite me because they're too loud and they make music that sounds like it's from a light beer commercial. That was his his yeah. thing with them. He was making T-shirts that said "War on Drugs, Suck My Dick" or whatever. Yeah, like I don't. Whew. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should yeah. move on. This, we got what we needed. Out I don't of this. know. We could just do a whole a whole <laughs> podcast about problematic. Mark was like, "No, we should we should move on." Should I move got on what I needed out of this show. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
so switching gears and uh i mean i ride pretty hard for the counting crows and yep. i know you do too yep um and I was so delighted to see this on here because I think about this song a lot. I think about this album a lot. Um, yeah. So you picked Angels of the Silences from Recovering the Satellites. Um, so how have you, is this your favorite Counting Crows album? I think we've talked about this before in, yeah, it, in it, email it, exchange. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tend to, I tend to go to bat for this album as being uh, in, in, in a, in a very strong catalog, the strongest as a full record. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, and it, another reason and i think you're this way too is you associate times of your life with particular albums and songs right yes. so i very yes. clearly remember like going to the cd store like in madison wisconsin where i was going to college to buy this album like the day it came out you know like super tuesday super tuesday exactly. it was a huge deal too right because like they hadn't put out a record in three years or whatever and um uh it it's it, that was a really the 90s were a really interesting time to be into music because there was a they lot were. of great music going on that rose up to like big label success level, you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of like easy to see them as a good band or a great band, but bands like that don't normally succeed on the level that they do commercially. Like it's, it, it the nineties were a weird window where that would happen, you know, like yeah, more sure. times. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, that is that is accurate. To, like the '90s, w- w- I think major labels were willing to to take more of a risk on certain things, or like develop bands, uh, and like maybe the market was more uh, welcoming to something like this. Like, I mean, these dudes were huge, yeah. and I mean, they still have a following, but also it's like if a band like this were formed today and put out an album today, it would be yeah. like self-released or yeah. on an independent label and they would not be break out of like regional success. They no, would they wouldn't sell out. 9 million copies of their first record. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, were you, I mean, so if you went to get this the day it came out, I'm assuming you were big on August and everything after. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was in fact, might've been one of the first CDs I owned. Um, oh wow! I was a little wow. bit of a late adopter to the CD format. Um, you were still riding hard for cassettes. You're like, I think I was. Man. Okay, cassettes, cassettes are great. my jam. Um, um, so yeah, I would say like I I like this album of their first three albums because I I mean let it, let's keep it funky. I think their kind of quality in songwriting and albums kind of fell off after this Desert Life. I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, but I think this one, like this, the production quality on this one is really fascinating because it's very raw, yeah. um, and it's a lot more electric instrumentation as opposed to the like acoustic kind of muted production values um, from August and Everything. But August and Everything After is like a pro- uh, product of its time. It's like early, very early '90s yep. production, and everything is kind of flat. And this album has a lot more bombast to it in terms of the the energy level and it's dark yep. but it's accessible mm-hmm. and yeah this one just this is just a rollicking song yeah and adam duritz plays the role of a tormented soul very well <laughs> he's very a, believable a, bedre- a, bedre- a bedreadlocked tortured soul not anymore he shaved him I off know, he shaved his head. yeah shaved his head yeah yes, yeah a, I saw a bedraggled that. tortured millionaire the best kind Hang 
No, actually, he's, as, he's as counting a, his millions, and he's being like, "I'm still sad. I gotta yeah, write some songs." Yeah. As an aside about him, I, I do have a friend I worked with who toured in an opening band uh, that opened up for them maybe four or five years ago in a summer oh, tour. Oh wow! Okay. And okay. said that he was like the most charitable, like nicest guy for these. Like, he really works with independent musicians to help them out, and like he does a lot of good things for for um musicians in general so um before we start making fun of the dreadlocks and the millionaire sobbing um i mean he's that's fine i mean like i think he kind of like his i think he's able to laugh at himself a little bit he seems like he has a good sense of humor but he seems like he also takes himself like really seriously i mean mean, you got to find that you got to find that balance yeah that's exactly right yeah i agree with you on the like the contrast like so the first record is is T-Bone Burnett. Yeah, T-Bone um, Burnett. Yep. And uh and, and a very like I mean that's a very well produced great sounding album still. Like like August sounds like I mean it almost presages the whole like Americana thing that took off in the 2000s and two, you know like yeah, it's, it's sure. kind of ahead of its time with that stuff. Um but I'm uh, now I'm blanking on the producer of recovering. It's the guy it that Gil, it's Gil, Gil Norton. Gil Norton, right, 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 right. I think his production, like whenever he, he's a guy who, whenever I see his name on something, I'm just like, I want to listen to that because I love the other. Like I think he worked with the Pixies, and I think he worked with, um, he worked with Gomez uh, on their really good record, I think. And I mean, he's he's just a cool producer that makes bands sound like what you're talking about, like edgy and kind of jangly and like the. The way they cut the vocals on that record to me sounds like so live and kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like this has the feeling of I mean, I know that they recorded the first two albums for sure in like a house. Yeah. Right. Right. This one has like the feeling of they're all playing at the same time rather than like we're all recording in a house, but it's all done like overdub or like people doing pieces at a time like this has like yeah live room feeling to the way it comes together and kind of yep. feels like it's going to go off the rails or collapse a couple of times because things get so frenetic but it, yep. it never does well it also i think like i was thinking about this it has to be like of that type of music it has to be the album with the largest recording budget ever <laughs> because they were coming off nine <laughs> nine million like I imagine that the studio yeah. gave, gave them, you know, however many millions of dollars you needed to make a record at that point, you know, um, like, and it sound like it just sound, it's such a great sounding record. Like it just, it, it really, yeah. like you said, it really holds up. And do you have that in vinyl too? I can't remember. I don't. And I've, I've kicked myself. I saw it once when I was out somewhere yeah. and I didn't buy it. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, I have this on CD, whatever. It's like, am I going to need, do I need it on vinyl? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to pass today. And every, like, that's one of those times when I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like I should have just cop I should have copped that when I had the chance. I wonder and so now whenever I go someplace, I kinda I, I look for it and then I get on Discogs to try to look at like if yeah. any uh fucking nerd has posted on the <laughs> the listing to be like, man, it sounds flat. There's too much sibilance, blah blah well, blah. Well, or like <laughs> So my, that's like, hey, do you, do you fuck with Discogs? Are you on there reading about pressings and like the Matrix no, runout no, of, on no, stuff? And if no. and if someone some incel is on the on talking about how bad it skips or whatever, because like no. I, when I get in the record store, I'm like, am I gonna buy the wrong pressing or not? Because I don't want to, I don't want to hose this up. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that sounds that sounds rough. Um, my question about this record, which I'm sure with even a modicum of googling, I could have figured out, is whether it was recorded to tape or digital first oh yeah because if it's digital it's gonna sound like shit well digital just doesn't matter you know like yeah it's like it's 
you know, if it was recorded to analog, then I would love to hear it on vinyl, like one of the original pressings, because that would be a completely, you know, analog signal chain. And I'm that's kind of like where I've come down on like my vinyl, uh, my vinyl theory uh, is like, yeah, <laughs> I, I want to like, I want to hear records recorded or played in the format for which they were recorded. So like shit from the seventies was recorded to be played on vinyl. Like that yeah, stuff. Yeah. If you have an early pressing of that, there is definitely a difference. It, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different. And like that's, that stuff was geared towards being played on, on those records. You know, the stuff yeah, in the nineties, yeah. it starts to get like sort of in the middle, like some of the stuff was analog to start, but they knew they were going to CD. So it's like, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I just kind of want to hear the format for which it was intended first. And then you figure digital is just easy and is going to, you know, is going to sound like what it sounds like, you know? Yeah. There are some things where like, it doesn't need to, there are definitely, my vinyl theory is like we have, pa- we have passed peak vinyl and yeah. like the bubble is going to burst at any, mo- any yeah. moment now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there are, there are a lot of things that don't really need to be on vinyl yep. and it's just kind of like pandering. And then there are things that definitely were like recorded to be pressed on vinyl. And you yep. can definitely tell even yep. when it's like try to tinker with the mastering. So it sounds okay. It still sounds like super compressed and like yep. brick wall, brick wall mastering is just like, yeah. It just becomes like a big glob of sound. Well, I think, and I think like, and this is, I'm a little over my, my expertise here, but that's never stopped me before. Um, uh, <laughs> well, no, I think like it, I, I was actually reading about how streaming services has changed mastering because every, yeah, streaming, every streaming service has its own algorithm that sort of applies another layer of mastering to the, the file, you know, basically. So yeah. Like I know the the guy that I used to master these singles I'm putting out, like there's software now that will replicate like what the algorithm of what the service does to the track. So you can hear what it's going to sound like once it comes out of Spotify or whatever, or close to it. So it's, yeah, I read this, I read this book a number of years ago about the history of the MP3 and how the kind of, it was was very, very dense and very sciencey. And I was like, I am in over my head so far. It talks about how they use that, um, that remix of Tom's Diner by uh, Suzanne Vega is like the first song that they were like trying to chop up to make it right? MP3. And like, huh. yeah, you can like compress it down. Um, it talks about like what is removable, like what what sounds or layers yeah. are expendable and removable enough. Like frequencies. That, like, and, compressed- yeah, right. Yeah, the frequencies, like, what you can pull out of it to shrink it down where people aren't going to notice that yep. much. Yep. And I thought that was fascinating. And I do think about that because like an iTunes yep. thing, say, mastered for iTunes. And I'm just like, <laughs> that means like a bunch of stuff has been pulled out. Like that yep. means that this is like way flatter and less dynamic than if you bought it on CD or if you bought it on vinyl. And like a yeah, streaming I mean, is like, yeah, sure. I mean, like, I mean, there's only so much you can, uh, unless you're, unless you're doing the super pro version of title where it's like high fidelity streaming. I will, I will say I've heard title and it sounds different. Like I, oh, I, I, I bet, I bet it does. Yeah. I bet it does. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's like. Every format's going to be have strengths and weaknesses, I guess. And um, oh, for sure, for know, sure, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is like records skip, tapes get yeah. eaten, yeah. CDs get scratched, yeah, MP3s get deleted or corrupted, streaming things get warbled. Like it's all just get very tangible. But yeah. um, so what's it, with uh, getting back to Cunning Crow since we di- diverged into like yeah, music, the final and theory, yeah, <laughs> final theory, my new podcast, Vinyl Theory. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, join me in my Crosley turntable as I <laughs> dispel that's my good. wisdom on that's you. That's a good reference. No, uh, yeah. So, Counting Crows, like, do you still bang with Counting Crows? Like, their more recent stuff? Because it's just like the diminishing returns of some of their last albums have just yeah. been like, I, I, I like to think of the stopping at a desert that's this desert life and being like no we're good here like <laughs> y'all can just call the day with these these first three bangers and we can move on like i don't need to the last one especially was just a fucking train wreck it i will say i think um i think they're still trying um like i don't get the sense okay. that like you know some bands put a record and you're just like you know did you did you finish it? Like what, <laughs> you know, like, uh, was it a deadline? Um, I, I, I think, and I also happen to like, like one of their guitar players in particular, I really like, so I'm, I never have a problem finding anything on their records to sort of listen to and, and be impressed by. So I may have a little bit of a okay. skewed perspective on that. Um, uh, from a, I think but, it's more of an open-minded perspective than me being like, Oh, fuck this shit. This is not hitting. Yeah. The way that you well, I mean, also like, like just- I mean, how many, well, we may get to one of the bands that, that kind of disproves this theory, but like how many bands after their first three records, especially two that are that popular and another third that is still popular. I mean, yeah, you, there's just not that many bands that stay creatively vibrant past what, six years, seven years, eight years. I mean, we may get to two of those bands actually that I think do, but um, <laughs> I think uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Um, you want to get into this next one here, the Sharon, this Sharon Van Etten. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing is, I you put this on here, and I this album I think just turned ten. Yeah. And I usually know so very very little about Sharon Van Etten except that she is like a popular um, indie singer songwriter. She was uh, one of the featured musical artists on the third season of Twin Peaks. Okay. And so she played she played at the Roadhouse. Um. But I I don't I never sit down I've never sat down and really given her stuff a chance yeah. so and like so what well what album is this off of just for people who like are maybe this aren't is, familiar with like her her older body of work and just like more of the newer stuff this is off of Epic which I think is her okay. second release it's an EP um, I can't remember what her her first release is is really lo-fi just kind of like all guitar and vocals for the most part and, and okay okay and so this uh. This is the record on which she like kind of came onto my radar, and I think, I think it was listening to like a music podcast or something like that. If they exist in 2010, um, in, the, uh, in the dark ages, yeah. the early days of, podcasting. I might have even actually been radio at that point. Um, but uh, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, what's that? Gather around, children. Let you're me like, tell how you. Do you do, you're like, uh, how do you do, fellow young people? Have yes. you gathered around your radio? <laughs> Hello, fellow children, fellow teenagers. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, Let's all turn our hats backwards. That's right. That's right. Uh, actually, I associate this with um, my wife and I got married in 2010, and then went on our honeymoon uh, to Mexico as well in 2011. And okay. that's when we were still downloading files onto iPods. Clearly, and uh-huh. I was tasked with the job because it's the only thing I'm qualified for of downloading new music onto our iPod to take uh, on our honeymoon. And this was one of the records I read about and did downloaded. You, did you drive or did you, were no. you just, did you, oh, okay. No, no, no. Um, no, but we knew like we were staying at this nice hotel that had, you know, advertised at that point that had iPod dock, you know, cause that was a big thing. Oh, um, yeah, was, oh man. That's such, such luxurious amenities. It's like such a window where that was like important. Um, and so like, this was a record that I brought with us, you know, on, on our iPod and, we just, you know, this this song and the whole the whole EP is really great, uh, especially, you know, it's a very digestible sort of work. Um, okay. But this song, okay. this is, I think, the last song on the record, love, and it okay. love more, yeah, yeah, love more, and it it just it just kind of one of those tunes that hit us, and and we listened to over and over, and then we saw we've seen her a bunch of times live, and um, she's she's really she's put out maybe three records over the last ten years or three or four, I can't remember. Um, yeah, she put out one last year that was drastically different from all the other ones that had like a lot of like electronic influence. Yeah, very mainstreamy, less folky. Um, yeah. So, uh, but this, I think the song is like this is still probably one of my three favorite songs of hers. I think the lyrics are just amazing, and the production on it has like this. Um, what are they called? Like, uh, it's not an accordion, but it's got this. Uh, it's the same instrument that's on Jeff Buckley. Lover, you should have come over. Is it a hurdy gurdy? Oh, no, close. Yeah, harmonium. That's okay. what it's called. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, hurdy gurdy. I'm just thinking of all the like mad whimsical instruments. Welcome to the 1915 <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Hey. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Anyway, so the, I, I thought I, I wasn't sure if she was on your radar, and I thought you also might dig this tune. Um, no, I, 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 I was, I was just doing a couple chores in the kitchen before I sat down for this because like I had all my equipment ready to go, and I was just quickly 
going through the two two on here that I was not familiar with because believe it or not, you have pandered to my tastes, <laughs> uh, and I was I was very familiar with with all of these, and it's like so I never like groan when I see people's lists because it's like it's the it's like I am just the vessel for people to talk about their tunes, and so yeah. I'm never going to be like have someone on the show and they're going to be like oh I picked the song and I'm like well you picked wrong this is well <laughs> you have terrible taste get out of my living room get out of my podcast but uh i'm always like fascinated when it's something that i don't know yeah. or i'm like oh that's not a song i would go to right away with that right. artist With this list, I was like, oh, hits for days. Oh, we're going we're to chop it up. Um, yeah. Especially when we get into like the last two, I was like, yeah, sit in. Let's settle in. Well, that is why I put those last. So um, two, two dudes broing it up about sad things. Yeah. That's another thing is not to. Yeah, right. It's the white male sorrow hour. Yeah. Yeah, because certainly we need a, we need more of that sad yes. white men doing sad white men yeah. things. Well, I mean, the thing is, is we grew up in the '90s when, like, you know, that it, like music, f- a lot of music was just like white men bellowing. <laughs> like, so, uh-huh. yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So she is. If you want to counter that, she is a wonderful yeah. opportunity. Yeah, bellowing, some bellowing, a yeah. little bit. Of, her, she is one of those artists I fall into the camp with having like the kind of howling, otherworldly voice that's yeah. very haunting at times. Um, did you do you read Stereo Gum at all? Uh, I, I'm aware of it. I wouldn't say I read it. Okay. <laughs> I stopped reading it for a long time because I think the person who writes their hip hop column is really terrible. And I also didn't like how they panned the Carly Rae Jepsen B-Sides album. I thought they were, they gave it a kind of a unfair shake, but they, they were, they were bought by like a conglomerate, but then like they 
bought themselves out of it oh, and are like an independent yeah. site now. Yeah. And so they were doing like this big fundraising drive to like be able to afford to function as a site. And they put together this enormous collection of covers that you could donate money to oh, and get. Cool. And yeah. it was like current artists who were popping doing covers of songs from 2000 to 2010 okay. mostly okay. it was like a, it's an interesting kind of kitschy conceit for the the thing but sharon von etten does a cover of a portishead song oh, nice. which is really spooky like i was not anticipating it to be as spooky Man. as it is but it's i mean it's a portishead cover so it should be but yeah. it was um it was wild and yeah so if you i don't know if you didn't donate if there's a way to find yeah, it but it's um, worth checking out it's funny because like i would file to to connect it back to what we we're talking about with 90s music like portis has another band that like it's incredible that that band was popular because they're just so weird and like i mean i love that yep. dummy record is like incredible and you know it was like yep. was mind-blowing um it's interesting you brought up her like sort of wail that she has on not this most recent record, which you're right, is like a little more electronic, like um, modern sounding. But I think on the record before yeah, that, yeah, yeah. she's got a couple songs where she she does sound like Jeff Buckley. She has that like t- timber in her voice and like that yeah. in her upper yeah. register where she just howls. And it's um, it's cool. Actually, it's funny. We saw her on that same pitchfork that we saw Sun Kill Moon. Um, oh, wow. And she was, that was like the exact okay. opposite of him as a performer. You know, she was like, she had her shit together and was like really great. And she was also playing at like three in the afternoon or four in the afternoon at that point. Um, so it's, she, she, th- I think that EP is a really good way to sort of slide into her. And then she does, okay. I think the record after that is actually produced by one of the guitarists from the national too. I think it's the one after that. I, I believe, I Cramp. believe you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Aaron, Aaron, uh, Dressner? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I, I thought, I thought that might make some nice variety in our list here. familiar with them um, <laughs> little underground little obscure uh radiohead which i will i have gone on record as saying that they've been my favorite band since i was like 10 years old yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of a flex but the first time i heard creep i was like a, a child and i came on tv and i just stopped in my tracks i was like whoa what yeah. is this and 
not too many 10 year olds are probably riding hard for Radiohead, but I was, uh, <laughs> I was holy hell, what this is, this is important. This is going to be important to me. Yeah. Um, so you have selected Black Star, yeah. which is, um, I mean, if you could, I mean, it's, I'm going to be hard pressed to pick a favorite song off of the Benz because yeah. there's many, but Black Star is probably, I think, one of my favorite songs off of the Benz that was not like a single, right. um, because yeah. it's kind of a, a, like a, not a deep cut, but it is more like it's in, Pardon me. It's in the second half. Yep. It was not really a single, but it is a, a well-known song. Yep. It has a fade in, oh, which yeah. is, I mean, not too many people are doing that. Um, <laughs> which sets apart from the rest. It's not on purpose. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me about like so. I mean, I assume you also ride pretty hard for Radiohead. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the my favorite band of the last thirty years, certainly. Um, uh, and maybe like the most important band. Uh, oh, for sure. For and sure. and actually, that's kind of like my my relationship with them is sort of this balance between importance and favorite. Uh, yeah. Uh, so like, I actually I remember when Creep came out. I remember liking it. I remember when the Benz came out, uh, liking it, but you know, not obsessing over it the way one would have at the time at the age I was sure. at that point. Sure. Um, and then I remember like, like, okay, computer, you know, was this revolutionary album, you know, that like just destroyed people and, you know, uh, people's minds. I actually, the first album, which is apropos, uh, that I really, really got into was Kid A, like really in real time. Wow. Wow. Yeah, right. So that came celebrating, out. Celebrating 20 years also. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, uh, so what happened was I got into, you know, the Kid A, like, repeat playing over and over and over and and also um amnesiac and and then i sort of like worked my way backwards with my obsession you know through okay <laughs> computer and yeah and i've landed on the benz as actually being my favorite radiohead record and i think it's like maybe okay. one, maybe one of my 10 favorite albums ever uh, um and it's not that like that's not an, like i think okay computer is probably like a more important album but like when I want to go listen to a radio album, I put on the Benz like without fail. It is it is accessible yeah. because it's it still is just like traditional instrumentation. Yep. And so it's not as uh demanding, quite as weird. I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I I mean I I would say I'm almost similar to the way you approach this because like I was aware of creep. I was like, this is yeah. yeah, okay. And then like the Benz came out and I was really into all the singles and I yeah. was like this band is great okay computer man that just changed so many things for yeah. me and and then by the time kid a came out i was like these guys can do no wrong yeah and well, i mean i i i am since a a fan who can argue like are there radiohead albums that don't hit yes like does the king of limbs kind of not really work yeah, at times yes yeah, my, that's my least favorite um but yeah, uh, so I, I get kind of the glomming on and then working your way backwards. And so the Benz, yeah, there's, I mean, this has got a lot of good stuff on it. It still holds up well. It's 25 years old. It still yeah. sounds amazing. And also, I do believe I looked this up. This one was recorded analog and I do have a vinyl of it because I was like, I want to hear. First of all, I can't believe they recorded this analog. Like, that's crazy. Um, and second of all, I want to hear it. Uh, on yeah. vinyl you know do you and, have the, do you have like the original parlophone pressing or do you have one of the i think it's a, re I think it's a repress yeah okay. so and the thing is i never have the part like the parlophone version i don't know if it's like the original 95 one or if it's just like a repressing right. of that right but it's it's not one of the american right editions but yeah it sounds great it sounds yeah. really it's like the 
the dynamics on this record. What's the what's the two thousand seven or eight record of theirs? I'm blanking on. Um, uh, in Ra- in rainbows. Yeah, the like so we were talking about bands that that stay vital for longer than six years or even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that to me is like one of the most like the the farthest along in their career masterpieces that a band's ever had because that that album is incredible. Like, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and that. You know, uh, the history behind that is like uh, pretty wild because like they recorded Hail to the Thief, which is, I would say, again, not one of their yeah, best. It's fine. But it was also recorded quickly as like an experiment to see if they could do an album in Los Angeles in a yeah. very short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, they almost broke up while making In Rainbows because it just wasn't working. And their management encouraged them to call it a day. Wow. And they they managed to to come through and finish it and then obviously change the game with a release structure in terms of the pay what you want download yep. or $80 for a collector's edition, which I gladly was like, buy, add to cart, boop. So, um, something funny is that the very first line of press a band that I was in ever got was uh, this uh, Paper Arrows project. And yeah, the, I'll never forget it. It was in the Chicago Tribune and it was, did Radiohead steal Paper Arrows idea? i'm not kidding because because i had done this in like 2007 or six six or seven i had this one track on this first paper arrows record that was really short it was like two minutes 35 40 seconds and this is early in the days you were talking about mp3 this is pretty early in those days so i like compressed it way down to like a two meg file or something which at that point was still giant and um i did this like kind of like a um pass it on like email tree list thing where i was like you can have a free mp3 as long as you forward this on to like four or five people or something i can't remember and it like it kind of worked out okay like i built a a mailing list pretty quickly that had more people on it than i did before but when i I was yeah when i was trying to like do get pressed for this on you know 
album by a band that didn't exist. Um, uh-huh. I, I put this, the story about this in the press and the guy yeah. at the trip like kind of glommed onto it and like basically wrote about my marketing, but not the music, uh, which is another uh-huh. thing. <laughs> but still I was like, I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, like I'll take that as a headline. Sure. sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I just, I go back to the bends and I just think like you were talking about how deep it is. Like that's also an album where I don't skip a single song. Like, I oh yeah, everything, even the songs that aren't as good as other songs on yeah. the bends are still good songs. Great songs, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the production is not as weird clearly as OK Computer, but it, the more you listen to it, you realize that they were sort of creeping towards. Like, it's a transition record from the first one it to is. OK Computer. You know. Yeah, it is because so this is Nigel Godrich did not produce this one, but he was like an engineer on it. Yeah, yeah, and. So, so it's lucky. It, yeah, it's um, it's it's just like yeah, like the instrumentation is very like raw sounding, and again, yep. it's like the Crows album. It's like it does sound like five people in a room together, yep. but they are taking more risks mm-hmm. than they were on Pablo Honey or even like the stuff the Anna Friday stuff. Yeah, and they were just like scrappy art school blokes. Scrappy art school blokes. Yeah. Do you think they would have ever found the success they found had they kept the name on a Friday? I don't know, man. It sounds like that, a that name does not hit. So. It sounds like uh, Till Tuesday was not Amy Mann's first band. <laughs> <laughs> I could have put her on here too. That would have been good. <laughs> All right. Are we good on do you, anything? So, how did you land on Black Stars before we scoot out? Of oh here? yeah, you know, I think I did the same thing. Like, like I, I, I knew whatever song we talked about with them, we were going to talk about all of them because you just can't not. Like, yeah, them, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I've always like loved like, I love that he's got some background vocals on that song in the third verse. I think which because he yeah. very rarely does that. Like, there's very little Radiohead that has backgrounds on it, you know, in that way. And he sings in this little descending harmony that I've just always, it's always just been this little nugget that is, I've loved about it. And I love yes, the when like the song breaks up a little bit and it, it just is like the, the bass. Yeah, line exactly. And um, yeah. And then the rest of the, the guitars kick back in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a sucker well, that for that. Be- I, I love the fade in. Like you said, I think that's like really interesting. Um, and it, it's just one of those that is not the single that, but like you said, people still know it. So it felt like a real sweet entry point for the record. Yeah. Have you seen them? In yeah. I've seen them a couple times, but not, I didn't see them until the in rainbows tour. Okay. That's right. So I did not see okay. them in the nineties, but I've seen them, I guess twice. I saw them in there and I saw them at, at Lollapalooza and maybe like, when did a moonshape pool come out? 2017. 2016 16 i saw them in there they were playing the material off that record yeah um i saw them in chicago in 2001 as the only time i've been able to to get to where did you see them where was that it was outside at grant park oh yeah the old grant park or the old grant park yeah yeah it was um i i still lived in illinois then because i'm i'm from um freeport originally and so uh, it's a couple buddies and i went went got tickets like right away and went into the city oh that's like a legendary show right because they shut down grant park and yeah i remember about i remember people still talk about that show yes yeah yeah it was like august 2001 it was a big deal it was uh the beta band opened for them played dry the rain and i was like i'm gonna sell five copies of your three (laughs) p's 
idea. Um, but yeah, they were great. They were they like I mean their their setup was not as advanced as it is now with like the yeah. screens and kind of like the reliant on spectacle. Yeah, they had some cameras mounted on some of the instruments, which was cool. But it was really just them out there, and they, I mean, if they were touring in support of Amnesiac and like the new stuff at the yeah. time. Like the kind of electronic, heavily influenced stuff, sound like translated pretty well to a live setting. I was very surprised. That's another like um, I'm glad you brought that up. Like that's my uh, my theory about them is they were able to get away with getting as weird as they wanted because at their core they were a really really good straightforward rock band. Like they started out, they were a straightforward rock band. They they figured out how to make pretty straightforward rock tunes, and then like as weird as they got after that. There's always like this center, which is a good live band that can play rock tunes, you know? Like, yeah, because even, even as um as kind of pat like passable as King of Limbs is, yeah. like as an album, yeah. the in the basement session where they play it yeah, live seen that. is yeah. like that really works. Yes, yes. And yeah. you get to see them actually making the music together and it sounds less like Tom York at his laptop doing right. a couple yeah. of things. Yeah. Um totally. so yeah, I I prefer those versions actually to the 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 proper album, I guess. I think that sounds um, right.
All right, so we're switching gears. We're headed. We're heading back, back yeah. in time. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier with the Kamasi joint, but so you've got some Coltrane on here. Yep. Uh, and iconic Coltrane. I love Supreme Part One because mm-hmm. we can't we can't just cram all four parts <laughs> in into the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, that that would yes. I should have put all four of those on there as four of the tracks. <laughs> Yo, we only talk about a love supreme. You need to play it all. That's start it. To finish. That's it. Um. So, how did you get into? I mean, and you were talking about, I guess, a little bit when you were learning the guitar and yeah. solo. So Coltrane was the name you touched on. So, was, how did you pursue John Coltrane as a as an artist? To you know, it's weird listen. because like getting into music was so different then like where you sort of had to like most of the time you you read about it first before you heard it so you like would read about somebody name dropping john coltrane you know like some guitar player you liked or whoever and then you know then you'd have to save up your five dollars to go to the ucd store and decide what your best shot was you know like because you only um and so like i just remember sort of this this that record was exalted you know by uh some musicians that I liked that I read about and um, I got it and actually kind of, kind of similar to the Kamasi Washington album, but maybe even more so like that record starts and there's like a palpable energy that hits you and you're just oh, yeah, like, that gong, that gong is just, yeah. Like, well, and just like the, the baseline and every, I mean, every single thing that happens in that record is, is, is uh, and then it, you know, clearly like his sax statement, it's just like, it's, it's amazing. Um, and it, but it's also his playing is really accessible on it compared to some of his other stuff. Like after that, when he gets like meditations and crescent, some of the weirder stuff after that, um, it's so like lyrical and just like human voice, like his lead playing. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it remains one of my favorite albums of any like genre. And it, um, it, uh, I also remember I heard not long after I got into it, like some, long form program that was sort of like an a radio program on the making of it and like the sessions leading up to it and i think i'm sure this stuff is out there now like on, on youtube or whatever maybe even as part of a collection but at the time like it wasn't and it was like they had some rehearsal takes of them playing those tunes like a couple months earlier and they sounded like nothing like what wound up on the record like they were much more like latin kind of like latin jazz oh, okay. Okay. And I was just like, wow, like what a cool insight into, you know, into how some of this magic happens that they were trying different, different, different ways, you know.
I read a book about the making of this album and I mean it was written by like one of the like jazz yeah scholar writers who like writes uh liner notes for albums yeah and it was really fascinating kind of like the process and like the people he picked to be on this and um there was like a reissue of this a couple years ago and yet those other takes aren't on that because I would definitely remember hearing like drastically different iterations but it, there are alternate versions yep. of most of these on a second album and then there's like the one time he played it all live start yeah. to finish at some kind of festival or like some kind of concert somewhere um that's on like a third disc in the set wow um, and so it's like it's like that sounds very raw and everything's a little bit shorter and yeah. a, like a little bit more chaotic sounding um but yeah it's really that's worth checking out if you haven't heard it absolutely um anything else about coltrane do you so you like you're more of like the kind of like before it gets too out there coltrane because i mean he definitely had phases where it was more what cool jazz like yeah or like leading up to this and then it got very experimental right before he passed away yeah and and that stuff like i i can admire it i guess for like uh, but like i wouldn't I guess maybe it's like the radio thing in a way. Like this is the album that I put on to listen to. And um, it's just so melodic and so beautiful and so like transcendent. Um, uh, The other, the other record that I think I got into around the same time is a, a Miles Davis record called in a silent way. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Which which again is like, like it's, it's, you know, bitches brew is kind of the record that gets held up as this, as this fusion, you know, groundbreaking record. It's so difficult very challenging exactly and in a silent way has this really beautiful kind of lyrical playing on it and it's like they were um they were very approachable for me as like less of a jazz aficionado you know just after midnight black canyon freeway a man when he could no longer deal Stepped in front of 18 wheels My uncle Ray was a pair of 
So switch it. Now we're switching. Like the way you have some of these structure with the jazz drop, then it just like this, it switches gear. So the next one, this is relatively new. This is from last year, isn't it? The Pedro the Lion track? Yeah, early 2019, right? And so I, I mean, I have been aware of Pedro the Lion for a very long time. And I know they broke up and got back together and that Dave has a solo career. Yep. Um, but I never got into this band, despite my, all my indie rock leanings. <laughs> and so... Um, and I don't know what kept me from it. Perhaps they they have like a loose association, like spiritual association. Is that correct? There's like borderline. They're not Christian rock. Oh, but they had do they have a Christian following early on. No, that he maybe was, kept. He was a straight up Christian artist early on. It was okay. Not, it was he okay. was. Uh, there's a great documentary that came out maybe last year that's that about about his kind of arc to getting to the point where he made this record um going all the way back and he was a full-on indie christian artist like uh, maybe why i kind of stayed away from this but so i listened as i was getting as i was preparing myself for this uh so i didn't sound like a total uncultured buffoon i really enjoyed this i put this on and i was setting up my equipment and i was like let's this is really good and i feel like i have erroneously slept on Pedro the Lion for a number of years. So how do you, uh, how did you, have you been a fan since like uh, early days or like of, of Dave, is it Dave Bazan? Is Dave that Bazan, yeah. Um How do you, so, how do you, did you like ride hard for his solo stuff or? That was, so I was, what, what, you know, he, I saw that name bubbling around. I think he was actually like, you know, he got to start like late nineties, I want to say. And he was sort of the, yeah, like, yeah indie touring guy who I'm I think even maybe came through like Madison when I was going to school there or something like that never didn't see him but just had that name in the back of my head and then in 2007 or 8 um we went to see uh Ben Gibbard from Death Cab at this club called Metro here which is about a thousand shout out to Metro yeah yep um let's hope they're still around after this um (laughs) so brutal uh so we went to see ben gibbard and david Bazan's solo opened up for him and it was right as he was like stepping away like he had a very public break from his christian faith uh where he was still getting booked on all these like christian festivals but he was like basically going on stage and saying he didn't believe anymore and drinking and like it's it, it it's crazy like he sort of yeah, it's crazy. So he was in in the process of essentially disbanding the Pater of the Lion name and just going out under his own name. Yeah. And he only had like an EP, yeah. but he was so good in this, just with a guitar. Like he has this giant voice and he like was a much he better- He does have a huge voice, yeah. And he was a much better performer than Ben Gibbard solo. Like he just, he really commanded the room. And so we sort of started following him a little bit then. We got really into his EP and I think he wrote like what they call a, put out what they call a, a breakup album with God, Curse Your Branches or something like that it's called.
sort of went off our radar for a little while. And then this record came out in 2019 and we, we just sort of started wearing it out, like start to finish. It's just a really, it's a kind of a concept record about, about where he grew one of the places he grew up, Phoenix. And, um, it's, uh, it's really detail oriented, autobiographical. Um, and we actually met divorce too. And like, that is covered or did he cover that i thought i read that he had like he had made like a divorce album i think that that was his divorce with god album the one you were reading about yeah i thought it was like a divorce from his spouse i don't think so no i think i think it's like that curse 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 the branches record um but but this record really like really really hit me as being like a really beautiful kind of cohesive like um look at like what it, you know what what your hometown is and where you came from and kind of reckoning with like your roots um and then the production is very like squarely in kind of my 90s um you know drums bass guitar thing um yeah it, it, it is a very simple kind of traditional setup but it works and it sounds i mean i assume that peter the line has always sounded like this yeah yeah and yeah yeah it it it, it i mean this was released in 2019, but you could have told me that this is from like 1995. Totally. 100%. So we saw him at the, uh, on this, on that tour, like in must've been the spring of 2019 do the, like most of the record at this place called Talia hall, which is a newer venue here, which is awesome. And then actually, uh, I think it was in November. We saw him at a house show. He does house shows. Yeah, I know he does a lot of house shows too. A lot of a lot of like folky. Yeah, Damien so, Damien also does a lot of um, house shows. I think, or he did. Yeah, so he just like it was basically us and like fifty people in somebody's living room, and it was really it was really cool. It was he was he was fantastic, and like talk about like understanding how big his voice is, you know, when you're just like yeah, in a room with him. So yeah, I'm glad you dug it. I've been. Do you go, I've been, to- go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say I've been trying to get you into him for a while now, so. <laughs> um well it finally worked you finally i finally it finally stuck no so i mean i because you live in a major city yeah i assume that before that rona you went to a lot of concerts or you tried to get to concerts um but did you like is the house show community in chicago big because like i have been to one house show and it was like a weird basement noise <laughs> venue in minneapolis and it was some it was fucking wild yeah. and uh, but I know that there are like people who book house shows and it's just like a relatively big for indie rock name who will play in your living room and you sell they sell tickets to your house. And yeah, because like the dude from Caliphone does house shows. Yep, yep. And so is that like, do you have do you go to those often? Um, like, is that like, you a, know, that yeah. was the first one. I've played more of them than I've gone to, actually. Uh, that That definitely that definitely like was something that when I was touring for record of life stuff, uh, I got booked at a bunch of them because the material was so perfect for that. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Cause then no, no one's going to talk over it. Everyone's yeah, going to shut the fuck up like, and, you know, and, and, and yeah, the economics of like a cover at a club that's going to take 25 or 30%. And like, you know, it just, it, it works out better for an art. Like I actually, the publicist I hired for some of the record of life stuff who might've been the one that used some of your stuff. Uh, um, uh, he at one point was doing some PR for David Bazan and he was telling me just about his, like his house show, like kind of how he set up this little world for himself, this ecosystem and the economy of it. And it like, it made a lot of sense for like a solo performer, you know, like when you look at, 
you know, so I, I don't, you know, I think it's really cool for the right type of music um, and, and for the right level artist, you know. scoot into the final oh man this double shot coming double closer man double i'm so ready so the national (laughs) who damn um yeah who who is this who's this band uh i would say if radiohead is my favorite band of all time i would say that the national are a close second um and much like what you were alluding to with a band that has the longevity to still remain creative and putting out interesting material this far into the game, um, I would say that they are probably one of the other only examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you you picked Blood Buzz, Ohio, um, from High Violet, which is ten years old oh. uh, as of this spring. Jesus, um, I know. <laughs> I always like I love writing like anniversary think pieces because it allows me to like go back into an album that I cared about and can revisit. But then I'm like, wow, time makes fools of us all. And this is it's like it's been like 10 years is a long fucking time. 20 years is a long time. And it's just like, damn, that puts a lot of things perspective so how long have you been a fan of the national for a long time when did you get into them that's why i wanted to start with that's why i put this song on there uh because really like i was aware of them before this i think i was aware of um it was a boxer the one before this boxer is the one before this yeah it's from 2007 yeah, so i remember i was sort of into the song like um fake empires from that record i think that's from that right yeah yeah, that's the opening. Right. Not okay. So, one. you know, that was like on my radar or whatever. And then, um, but when High Violet came out and, you know, I heard Blood Buzz Ohio, that was one of those, uh, oh my gosh, I got to go check out this whole album now. And then I got to yeah, work yeah. my way backwards and figure this band out. Because for whatever reason, that yeah. song, just like the sound of it, the lyrics, like the the, the delivery of it. And, and really that whole album to me is just like, a complete like start to finish masterpiece, you know, of it is this- arguably their best. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I like some, like another, I, I, you're not a huge fan of, well, no, you're a huge fan of all of them, but um, what's the, the one after that is, what is it? Oh, um, Trouble Will Find Me. Yeah. And how I think it's a little long, but it has my favorite national song on it. Which is um, Pink Rabbit. Pink Rabbit. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, but they, I mean, 
that's they're a band that has been around for almost like I think twenty years. Yeah. And they have obviously grown out of the kind of ramshackle, um, <laughs> loose beginnings yeah. of the self-titled album yep. and even sad songs for dirty lovers which has a little more structure to it um but so did you like when you worked yourself back out of high violet into their first four yeah like do you like the do you like the old material or are you just like nah this ain't this ain't it um i mean i re- i like the boxer a lot and i like is alligator the one before that Alligator is the one before that. Alligator yeah. is the one where they started to kind of break out of less of a regional kind of East yeah. Coast indie band and more like getting gaining more notoriety outside right. of that and reissuing that with like extra tracks uh, mm-hmm. in 2005 is kind of how I heard of them. Okay. Um, yeah. A friend of mine was like, you are really going to like this band. And I was like, oh, wow, you're right. Lo and behold. Um, yeah. I mean, it took a little bit because, I mean, Berninger at that time was still doing kind of like the speak singy thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really grown into his voice as like being a more confident singer. Yep. Uh, especially now. Yep. But those early days like the even alligator there's a couple times where i'm like yeah you just are talking you have yeah, like, this I mean, weird baritone and you're just talking these lyrics yeah i i find i think it's a really interesting sort of like like an archaeological dig through their material backwards where you're like uh you see their progress and you see them sort of circling around what they land on i think on high violet maybe for the first time fully although boxer is really good i was carried to ohio in a swarm of bees i never Like, I mean, High Violet, I think, is where they cut, they did land on what like what the band could be. Mm-hmm. 100%. We saw them open up for Arcade Fire in 
2011 oh, I bet or that was wild. 12. Yeah, it was. I mean, so I saw Arcade Fire in 2008 on the um, on the Neon Bible tour. Neon Bible. Yeah. yeah, and that was one of the best. Show, like that's still one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was at the Chicago Theater, and it was their peak of just like the, their peak, you know, or close to it. And so then to see uh, them on the Suburbs tour when they were still really good, Arcade Fire. But then the National is on. I guess that would have been High Violet at that point that they were touring behind. Um, yeah, it was yeah, a real fascinating yeah. study in sort of two different paths after that. You know, where the National just to me they keep developing and they they they've not just stayed vital they've like they're still trying things and succeeding a lot of the time with it um and arcade fire sort of um yep yep uh and, i and mean I, so i yeah. the suburbs i think the suburbs is great yes it is um i think reflect reflector has its moments yeah i think it's again, daring too long um some of it works some of it uh, yeah double album um, it is all 74 minutes of a oh, compact disc. Jesus. Um, it is, it is a lot to take in. Some of it is, is not good. Some of it I think is okay. It is, it does push their kind of like, yeah, their sound a lot, but that last album that they did from oh. God, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, yep. That, yep. that was and a to and I mean that's like that was them with major label money. Yep. That was them like that was just a lot. Yeah. And yeah. so it's really too bad that they f- have fallen off so well, badly. It, it's a great point cuz I mean that's their fifth album, right? So the yeah. High Violet was the Nationals fifth album. <laughs> you know. The Nationals fifth album, yeah. Or yeah. or Trouble, yeah. you know, you could say Trouble Trouble may find like that's, you know, it's what a what a what a study of opposites in terms of you know a career development. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, you yeah. know, I, I see that I see Blood Buzz in this you know, in, in that album is sort of my window in, and then you know we've we've basically just gotten everything they've done right as it comes out, and you know, <laughs> followed it very closely and and been pretty blown away.
So the last one we got here, uh, and this is this is something we we started talking about Jason Molina like very early on in our rapport. Yep. Uh, and so you have picked from the Magnolia Electric Company, and now do you <laughs> deem this as the debut album from the Magnolia Electric Company, or do you deem this the final songs Ohio album? Uh, well, or do you not have a no, hot take I, about that? I. I I think that when I sent you the list, there's, I there's said two thir- different schools of thought. <laughs> I know. Yeah. When I, I'll just tell you this: when I sent you my list, I'm just looking back at this. It says "Farewell Transmission" by Songs Ohio. So, um, okay, I okay, think- that's how it comes up in iTunes. Yes. when you like, it doesn't come up as Magnolia, but in in my uh, al- alphabetically in my record collection, this is filed under M for Magnolia Electric because I I do view this as I I view. Didn't it rain is the last songs Ohio album, and then this is the first Magnolia Electric album. I mean, but I think I, I like, like functionally, you're probably correct in that th- this group of musicians, most of them, right, wind up being Magnolia Electric Company for the rest of the catalog or some configuration. Oh, some some of them, but also it's a it's such a drastic change in the ethos, and it's yeah. such a cha- like a different direction from for the band or for like Molina as a performer. That yeah like one is a clear ending one is a clear beginning but either way jason molina shout out to the homie r.i.p to the god uh farewell transmission what an an audacious opening track (laughs) yeah seven minutes yep um like this is just this oh there aren't many seven minute songs that i feel compelled to sit down and listen to that move me the way this one does i think you've said it all this is really something yeah, well, and I mean, I don't know. I'd be curious. I guess, I guess I should know, but like, this was actually the first Jason Molina song I heard ever. Like, I was not. On oh the, wow! I was not. Wow. I was aware of Songs of High as a name, you know, sort of flirting through the Pitchfork um, yeah. world or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yep. But I, you know, I went out and bought this on CD, and I remember putting it in and just. The first, the first note. It, actually, honestly, it's it's similar to to Love Supreme, like where the first thing hits and you're just like from the absolute first second of the song, it's unmistakably like a different world. <laughs> you know, you're just like, yeah, I am somewhere that is, else. That you is know? a very accurate way to describe this. Um, it is. It's it's uh yeah that that opening guitar lick yep. and the the symbol 
background and then the whole song kind of just tumbles together and never lets up never like never. they never stop for seven minutes until the end and even when you think it's over the way he does the listen i know and he I plays know. with that silence it uh man that that's the thing that stuck with me the most about the song the first time i heard it is because like again like you and I mean, did, when did you get into him before he passed away? Oh yeah, I mean, I was into or him was it from like after. No, I was okay, into him okay. from like when this. So this record came out in oh three, oh four, no three, yeah, three. yeah. So basically, yeah, I was I got on the train yeah. in two thousand three, and then got like, okay, of his large Uber. I got everything that came out. You know, I was just buying it as, as it came out, which was a yeah. lot from 03 to 08. He was like yeah. super productive as he always was. So yeah, very prolific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so, so I, I, I kind yeah. of, it took a long, it took a long time for me to get into him on my own, but um, this was not the first one that I heard. But once I, I heard this album, I was just like, yeah. man, yeah. this is like, this album is not, is nonstop. Like, it's the whole it's, thing. It's amazing. It, it doesn't miss. It does, does not miss. Yeah, you have been a fan since the beginning of Magnolia Electric. Yeah, and uh, in terms of when he stopped being like uh, an artist that was like releasing material ever, yeah, were you ever like, "Damn, what happened to this dude?" Or were you kind of aware of his situation? <sighs> or like, what did you think? Especially when he kind of like faded away and and would only send up certain signals occasionally, being like, "I'm still alive. I'm yeah. in treatment," but never specify what the treatment was for. Well, so he like he was supposed to do that tour with uh, 
uh, last name Johnson. Is that right? The guy from Centromatic. Yeah. Will, Will. Yep. And uh, Johnson. Yeah. yeah. R- right. And that was like 08 or 09, maybe or something like that. And, yeah, because they, they put that record out and then nothing ever happened. After yeah. That. And I remember thinking, wow, like one of the things I admired so much about him was his 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 work ethic and just how he you yeah. know, pumped material out. And like I, it was really weird after following this guy like pretty closely for five years and getting something new every year, at least one thing, sometimes two, sometimes even three, I think, in there. Um, uh and then he just goes like radio silence and there's like cryptic, like you said, sort of messages every once in a while on his website and like how he's getting better. And it's like, from what is he getting better? And, um, it, yeah, yeah, it really, uh, I mean, I guess like, yeah. And I, it, it didn't surprise me then, I guess when he passed, it did surprise me, but you know, looking back, you're like, Oh, like this guy was clearly, like in a lot of trouble for these years, you know, like things were not, were not oh, yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. And you read that book, the, the biography. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. And we talked about that quite a bit when it came out and yeah, yeah. that was, that was a, a difficult read specifically yes. because of the detail to his decline. Yes. And like, I mean, starting with the move abroad and then just kind of, becoming lost limping along the fog yeah. and becoming volatile and yeah just then just shutting down completely and it's yeah that was really harrowing detail yeah at the end and so yeah when he passed away when he passed away i was i was shocked because i had just really gotten into him oh, and it was really difficult to that's be brutal. like oh well, this is how it ends and <laughs> yeah that was really it was really brutal and uh uh yeah i just was like because I knew that he had, there had been statements about his health and yep. what he was doing and where he was living. Because he'd been like living all over and like shuffled in and out of different rehab facilities. And uh, yeah, I the, opening the Pitchfork tab uh, that morning in March, and yep. I was not anticipating the headline to say Jason Molina has died. And so brutal. I mean, he's got. I mean, there's there's probably tons of other recorded material. I mean, I know that the book alludes to like he was recording stuff as he was in rehab. Yeah. That might uh I that's like big corpse humpery energy if that ever sees the light of day. I don't think it's probably ethical to release some shit from someone who is like barely functioning in a treatment center and be like, "Hey, here's another lost album from Jason Molina." Uh, yeah. But like yeah, I I feel like there's also diminishing returns to some of that stuff too, where it's like this album was in a vault or unreleased yeah. for a reason. Yes, and so I I feel like we should just be happy with the work that we have from him, and yeah. look to that. Yeah, in, like yeah. I mean, I guess I hope that they just. I mean, so wh- whoever's looking after his estate and you know his label who owns the masters, who, mm-hmm. who they don't strike me as as opportunists because you know if you're going to do that, you dump it sort of like right away probably. Um, but like, I just hope whatever they do, it's just like thoughtful and like I never, you know, like I'm glad that we have uh, Prince's studio version of Nothing Compares to You now. I can't believe they sat on that for yeah, <laughs> like that's high enough quality, you know. <laughs> Like, or like some of these couple of these Tom Petty songs that have leaked that like didn't make the record. And I'm like, Jesus, this is fucking oh, better yeah. than most people's like best hit. You know, there's exceptions to that. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I'm with, I'm yeah, with you. Like yeah. some, some of the stuff that's trickled out from him, 
Um, some of it's been really touching and poignant and it's been like awesome to like hear stuff by him singing and writing. And, and then some of it, I think, like you said, diminishing returns. Like, did you, um, did you listen to the, the reissue Magnolia Electric Company, like from that record, uh, with all the demos on it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh See, like, yeah. Oh, I thought, yeah. I thought yeah. that was phenomenal because like, I think it's on the demo of this song where you can like hear traffic in the background or something like that. Like, Oh yeah. That, uh-huh. That I thought was yeah. really like I I did not mind that at all. <laughs> um, I was like I didn't I didn't mind that at all. But I also get the impression because it was the tenth anniversary edition oh. of that it was maybe planned out before his passing. Oh, interesting. Um, I had a little bit of problem with the the didn't it rain reissue because I thought that the the demos included were not as compelling. Yeah, yeah. Um. But I mean, like, I love that album and I, I yeah. that album means a lot to me personally, yeah. but I just, that one kind of fell a little flat for me. Well, the Magnolia Electric one I thought was a lot better in terms of what it provided, like yeah. more insight into the album. Yeah. Um, But yeah, those are the only ones that they've really, re- I mean, they reissued a bunch of old singles at one point in like yeah. a box set and then the... uh the lioness thing and then this last lost album that he put together as under his own name he also it's really has, been it so far and so go ahead yeah he also what has like say? a real you know uh, for me at least he has he has a, a pretty strong chicago connection um where he lived here for a while yeah a lot and, of those albums were made in chicago he is a, like a product of the midwest yeah and he's and an albini, he's an albini guy it, it, works with albini um yep uh, yeah so i was you know i it it's sad because you you think if he had stayed healthy like he he would have just kept cranking out stuff you wanted to hear <laughs> like, i know you know i know so um amazing. did you ever see him since he was so active in chicago like uh, around this time i saw him this uh so it must have been in 2005 or four okay um solo acoustic at this tiny club called Shubas. This holds 200 people. And oh, Shubas, he was, yep. he was yep. doing a residency where he played every Monday night for the month of like, I don't know, oh, like wow. February, I think. And, uh, went to see him for like, you know, no money. And, uh, he then called Andrew bird up on stage with him to play a couple songs out of the crowd or like that oh, was wow. a special guest. Yeah, it was so, and it was, must've been between, just before what comes after the blues, maybe, or something like that. Um, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's from 2005. Yeah. Like my sis- pyramid electric company is from 2004. Right. Yeah. So it must've been right in there. And, uh, my sister saw him with, with Magnolia electric company, uh, at this club called the empty bottle here, which is also tiny and about 300 yep. people. And you're just stuff. like, yeah, I love that you're name dropping all these iconic <laughs> Chicago venues. Yeah. Like, um, of course. Cause he lived there. So you go yeah, to these things. Yeah, he did. I mean, and like, so I, I, like he, uh, I mean, he was around, like he was getting a lot of press out of here, probably more so, you know, just as much as he was nationally. So yeah, the only time I saw him was that solo was that solo show. Uh, um, I would okay. like to see him with, a was band. he in good spirits then? Or was he like, cause I know that his live show, even before the alcoholism became as big of a problem as it was his live shows were a little erratic he was um, gr- he was i know gr- at times he, he was very yeah he, he was, was very volatile with the crowd or he could be you know he it was the the thing about it was this residency called practice space and i think it was perfectly suited for him because basically it meant that like every monday like basically you were encouraged artists were encouraged to come out and just do 
like try stuff out essentially, you know, cause they were playing like every oh, Monday for okay. a month. So he like, that's perfect for him. Like he just would come out yeah, and like yeah. he was in good spirits. It wasn't a super long set. You know, he played for like maybe 50 minutes or something like that. And like, um, okay. people were super respectful. Like it was just dead silent. I mean, his voice was in great form, but also like, this is like, Oh, what did I say? Oh, four Oh five. This, if, if you believe the book, yeah. it seems like this was before things really started getting, you know, bad um, um, completely out of hand yeah, yeah yeah so um it was cool i'm glad i i'm glad i saw him once you know it's like it's uh, did you ever get a chance to see him no because oh, i for, had you were until later you said right until, yeah like that yeah and like my fr- friend of mine in college was always trying to get me into him and this would have been like 2004 and i was never like sure okay yeah um but he had seen him a couple of times and said that one night it was really great and he yeah. was like really accommodating and another night he was very like he looked so solemn and like he was like i think he ended the show early because he was like too depressed to play yeah. but i guess he also could get very very um like angry with Combative. the crowd yeah and yeah yeah like um so that's i guess yeah you never like that's the thing with live music is like yep everybody goes like there's a lot of artists that end up getting temperamental on stage uh, yeah it, it i just mean it turns into a bad show and you can definitely like there's plenty of him up on you know youtube where you can you can see a, a, a wide range <laughs> of of him you know in, in live <laughs> like you can see yeah, some shows yeah, where he, he yeah. sounds just killer and the band sounds killer and you can see somewhere it seems like it was it was a battle, you know. And I think he also notoriously like yeah he didn't like to really play like old material ever. So like when he went out behind yeah, like yeah. a record, he'd just play the new stuff, and you know, like so I don't know. I'm I'm glad he's achieved. It seems like he's like us like people who are songwriters know him. Like he he's he's well known and well referenced in 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 even popular songwriting circles to some extent. Like he's his 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 legacy is seems like it's intact as far as like people knowing him whether or not that means anything commercially or ever did um uh yeah that's reassuring to me
considering that we've had all these technical difficulties and we're still rolling, you you sent me eleven songs. You sent me a bonus track, and <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should just do it and yeah, just fucking go for it. Let's um, go for it. Before we launch into this last one as the the bonus joint, yeah. I aside from the pandemic question where I ask how people are holding up, the one question that I try to ask everybody and I often forget is what's your earliest musical memory? And because this is a music podcast and we yeah. chop it up about music. So if you have one, cool. If you don't, that's okay. But ponder that. Well, we talk about Death okay. Cab for Cutie. Okay, cool. Um, arguably one of the worst names <laughs> in pop music. Mm-hmm. I I mean, they have songs that I genuinely love. Yep. I do. Yep. I, I'm not like a huge Death Cab guy, but I mean there's a time and a place for transatlanticism that album did mean a lot to me when it came out great record and uh i mean some of these songs still hit uh brother than a hotel bed means a lot to me that's nice off of this tune. album plans yep, yep but that name i don't like saying the name death cab for cutie <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue it's it's uh it's it's cringy and it's uh i don't know but so you picked uh, from Plans their major label uh, Jump. Yep. In two thousand five. Yep. Uh, what Sarah said, which is this is a heavy duty one. Yep. As many of their songs tend to be. <laughs> um, but so- <laughs> yeah. I did the thing on Instagram where, like, you, I was listening to this in preparation last night, and I, I had maybe had a little, I had a gin and tonic in me, and I was in my feelings. <laughs> and. Uh, I do the thing where, where I was playing it on my computer, but on, on Instagram and Spotify mobile, which if you don't pay for Spotify, the mobile thing is just a train wreck, but you can share what you're listening to as yep. an Instagram story. And so I did that and I, I just, I, I just put, I, I, I did a screenshot of the, 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 what Sarah said. And I just wrote on top of the cover art. Oh dear. And <laughs> my friend, <laughs> My friend Renee, shout out to Renee. Yeah. She was a guest in the podcast last season. She responded this morning and went, oof. Yeah. Like, yep, yep. just the, the heavy duty feeling of this one. So, yeah. You obviously are a big Death Cab guy because you went to see Ben Gibbard perform solo. Um, yeah. Or you like them enough to go see ben, just Ben on his own. Well, uh, <laughs> but so what's your history with this band? Yeah. So, I, it's funny you introduced them that way uh, because. Like that, the na- <laughs> no, the name, the name was definitely a barrier for me. Uh, and actually I want to hold on the name because when we do my earliest musical memory, uh, it's actually going to come into play, believe it or not. I think, uh, that's called, okay, a te- all right. called You're a tying teaser. it together and yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, th- this album came out in Oh five or Oh six or seven or something. Yeah. 2005, okay. 2005. Yeah. Fall of 2005. So, Big so, autumnal energy. Yeah. yeah, Autumnal energy. Uh, first thing I'll say is that I admire the audacity of finally getting a major label deal and putting out a record this depressing. That's about death through the whole thing. <laughs> I think. Oh like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would have yeah. loved to be in the meeting when, when they handed the record in and they were like, we gave you all this money and you handed us this. I mean, it, clearly they got the last laugh cause it, it did really well, but um, like, it's a really thoughtful, philosophical, well tied together, like, really beautiful sounding album i think um overall it it is it is a draft i mean maybe i had might maybe my time for death cab had come and gone by the yeah. time this came out because like transatlanticism i was on board with it's right a beautiful away. record too and i was like this is, is incredible and then i got into plans i listened to this and i was like 
I don't know how I feel about this. And was it too? It was was it too like straight or what? Like kind of too? I know, I guess it was just like it was such a departure. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, thematically, yes, it's heavy, whatever. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Like, Soul Meets Body is not. I did not care for that. That's not my favorite um, song on there. No. I think just from start to finish, there was there were parts of this that I was just not on board with, and right. I, maybe I should go back and revisit. It would maybe it would behoove me to revisit. <laughs> and uh maybe learn to appreciate it a little bit more uh now that so much time has passed but it uh yeah i don't know this was just kind of like what i soured uh uh, at this point and except for brothers in a hotel bed which means uh that that one is yeah that's a good song that it's that that's all that long this the long intro to that is is a lot but yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) so was this your first, like, did you, was this kind of the first, your first pass through with them? Yeah, basically. Or were you, okay. Yeah, so like my, like this, uh, this record is, is special to me because it's really like the first album my wife and I got into together. Like we, we met oh, okay. and we okay. were dating and like I was bringing a lot of the music recommendations to the relationship because I'm sure. Yes. That's the way I am. And, um, <laughs> she, she brought, no, this, you, you and I are 100% in the same boat. Yeah. On that. So yeah, she yeah. brought this record in and I think I was like, Oh, death cab. Like what? I like, Oh, the name. And she was like, no, you need to listen to this album. Like it's really good. And, um, this song in particular, uh, I think was just like, all right, this is this is some heavy duty shit. Like it's, it's like you said, you know, it's 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 going down with this song. There's there's not avoiding. There's nothing avoiding it. Um, there's not avoiding it. And uh, I just you know I've always been fond. And then I went back to Transatlanticism, and I, I really like that album a lot. Like that album, that song especially is is really brilliant. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know we we've seen them. We saw him solo, and he was pretty underwhelming. And we saw them at the New Millennium Park. And then that was a little underwhelming too. Like he's not the greatest like live performer in the world. Um, and, but then we saw him at, at I'll name drop another place, Aragon ballroom in Chicago. Um, yeah. like in <laughs> 2010 maybe. And do they, you ever call it the scare, the scaragon ballroom? Scaragon. Man, I've been going my to friend, that. Shout out my, my friend, Kat, had a very bad experience there. I think a, a lot of people Apple have had concerts bad experiences and there. called it the Scaragon. Yeah. And I was like, that's yeah, there we go. I mean, yeah. I've been so going to saw, shows there, there and it, yeah, since I was like since you were 16. Like a, a yeah, kid. Right. yeah, right, yeah. right, right. It was a big deal. And that's when Uptown was, was really pretty interesting. Um, so, uh, but we saw them there and they sounded so good. Like they were just on that night. And like, that's another band where they're, their rhythm section is awesome and mm-hmm. underrated. Like their drummer and bass player are so good. And so like, uh, for what they, like they really kind of like the national where you're not really aware of them cause they're not doing anything showy, but like, that's the yeah. reason a lot yeah. of those songs work, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's my, like, I've liked a lot of what they've done in that, in that era. Like I liked the record after okay. that. Um, and I think he's just like, you know he's a he's a really good songwriter. He cares. He puts a lot of care into his lyrics.
someone My wife has a bone to pick with him because she loves this song. And then she found out that it's not a true story. Um, apparently. Oh, he, no. He, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, spoiler and, alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert. And I guess he said it in an interview, you know, where he's like, no, it's and like that, that pretty much, that pretty much ruined her. And I was like, you know, songwriters make shit up. I hate, to, I hate to tell you this, but like, <laughs> You know, it's not always. You were, you were like, I was hoping, I was hoping the secret wouldn't get out. But yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we exactly. speak in fictions. Yeah. The other thing I'll say about the writing of this is, which I think is cool, is it's, it's a really weird way of basically like writing a love song because that's really what it is, right? He waits till the very end to get to that last line that loves watching yeah, someone yeah. die, and it's like you don't know that it's going to be about that until the very end. You think it's sort of about something else. And it's really like, it's just like a tough, that's a really hard thing to do as a songwriter is to sort of string something along that long and then, you know, pull out this sort of punchline that to me, like, it's not obvious that's where that song is going, you know, especially the first time you hear it. Um, So I've always, I've always just thought that's like degree of difficulty on that song, like pretty high and, you know, uh, good for you, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, this was this was really good revisiting this one because I, I hadn't sat with anything on this album in a really long time, and I I thought I, I saw the title in your in your email, and then I was like, is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah. And I was like, yep, yep, it is. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. and and again, degree of difficulty. If you're a songwriter and you can work in the line that reeks of piss in 409, like you know, you could take the rest of the day off after that. That's like that's you know that's pretty good right there. You know. All right, so we made it. We did, despite all these myriad uh, technical difficulties. We did it. Uh, shout out to my faulty equipment. We did it. We did it. We we survived. We made it through a, a ten songs and a bonus track. Look at that. Um, look at that. That's and good. So, is there, yeah, anything else? Any final thoughts you want to share? Oh, so we, we so my musical our... memory, my musical memory. <laughs> yeah, um, you're. Yeah, you were going to tie it into this somehow, well, and I was. I, you might with anticipation. Yeah, you might know this better than I do, but I think that name Death Cab for Cutie comes from the Beatles movie Magical Mystery Tour. And I don't know. I okay. have no idea. I think okay. I looked it up once recently because I was getting into. I was I was re-listening to Transatlanticism either yeah. earlier this year or late last year, and I was like, "Man, this name is fucking trash." Like, what is this a <laughs> reference to? And I think I looked it up because I wanted to know, and then it would uh, it uh, did not stay with me. Okay, so, so maybe let me, let me let me let me open me, up a new let me know. Are you going to Google it? I was like, who I'm, can open I'm up Googling a new internet right tab sooner? Okay, here we go. The group's name comes from a song, "Death Cab for Cutie," written by Neil Inns and Vivian Stanshall and performed by their group, the Bonzo Dog Duda Band. Originally featured on the oh British God. television show "Do Not Adjust Your Set," as well as in the Beatles movie "Magical Mystery Tour." Okay, there we go. So there one we go. Of my one of my earliest. Uh, musical memories uh, is uh, that my parents had a bunch of Beatles records like that were they purchased when they came out in the 60s and yeah know. yeah yeah as parents, and as parents are apt to do yeah one of them but two of them were uh, Sgt. Pepper's which you were required to buy I guess in the world uh, and uh, Magical Mystery Tour and uh, my parents were both uh, classical musicians by by education and w- most of the classical music you listen to is recorded in mono where the same thing comes out both sides of the speed of the yeah. stereo. Right. Yeah. So yeah. our stereo only had one channel working. It was like the left channel. And the problem with listening to the Beatles on one channel is that because everything's mixed, you miss, you miss half of it. Yeah. Yeah. You might miss the drums. Um, so, <laughs> so I remember putting these Beatles records on this, this, this half broken stereo and being like mystified as to like, why, I could hear some of the music coming off the needle, but not out of the speakers. <laughs> so like I could hear like some of the stuff literally coming off the needle on the vinyl, yeah, but then only yeah. half of it coming out. So that, that one of my earliest musical memories was having the concept of stereo recording demonstrated to me through <laughs> magical mystery tour <laughs> and, you know, a faulty stereo. Yeah. Miss, miss hearing something. Yeah. That's ex- wild. Exactly. It's really funny. <laughs> remix, the one-sided remix, you know? Oh boy. How old were you? Like, you've been pretty young. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I five or less. I don't know. Okay, all I right. Mean, okay, all with right. with so much music around our house, like you know, I remember my dad playing piano a lot. I remember, you know, um, uh, yeah. I it's weird because it's this okay. swirling of like listening to music and then also like just having music like around the house and, and all the time. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, how's that work? Cool. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Cool. Um, dude. Thank you so much for taking so much time out of your day uh, to chop it up with me. This oh, was this, great. This I was, had a lot of fun. It was really, really good talking, like talking to you and like 
having these discussions. Like this was a really, really good time. Absolutely, man. I knew this was going to be great and uh, it was a blast and a great way to distract from whatever calamity is going on in the world. Um, yeah, I haven't checked the, I haven't checked the timeline since we started. So who the hell knows? What's yeah, going we on. might not even have a world, but hey, this is a good way to go out talking about <laughs> <laughs> Jason Molina and Death Cab. Yeah. For